Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 193. We are recording on Sunday, October 2nd, 2022 at 3 p.m. Pacific time. I'm Terry. We've got Todd. We've got Zach. And it is time for your uh, degenerate uh, betting uh, update of the week. Zach, I heard ev- you had everything tied to the uh, to the Seahawks sucking today, and that didn't work. Yeah, I had uh, the under. I had this the the Lions covering three and a half, which was extra stupid because I lost money on the stupid freaking Lions last week too. I think I would have learned. I also had uh, the Browns covering their game, and I had uh, the. Uh, under in that game so um yeah it's just it's just a d over four over five it's it's impressive but really what difference does it make because we're number 19 in the country right now in lawrence kansas and i i would i would waste i would waste like 500 dollars of betting money if uh if we end up in the top 25 this year it'd be that would be an investment well spent well in k-state's like 21 also I mean, when, when, when's the Kansas K-State game? Because uh, I bet game day is going to it, no matter which one it's in. Yeah, well, we, we and we do have game day coming here next week uh, to Lawrence. We we go to oh. Manha- we, we go to Manhattan on uh, November 26th, uh, which should be a fantastic game. And, uh, you know, we, we like Kansas State. They're our little brothers, you know. They are uh, they're kind of pathetic um, because who wants to live in Manhattan, Kansas? But uh, you know, I I, I like I like um, in in Martinez is that his name. I mean, how is he not a Nebraska quarterback? Adrian, is my qu- Adrian Martinez, um, and uh, you know, I I, I think it's it, it's fun for them while it lasts. But uh, you know, we're having uh, whatever you want to call it. You know, ninety four Ducks, 08 Jayhawks. Uh, you know, 96 Cornhuskers, you could even say type season here in Lawrence. And uh, it, it's 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 a great time to be alive. Uh, so who are they playing next week that game day is coming to town for? TCU. And uh, I, I like it. We always play TCU tough. Um, I, I was there in 2014 when TCU was ranked number three in the country with Travon Boykin. If you remember him. Todd remembers that guy. And uh, they came here to, uh, to Lawrence. They were like 30 point favorites and they we lost to them, but it was a close game. It was 34 30. And I'll never forget, as they were taking the knee to end the game, we st- all 7,500 Kansas fans stood up and gave the Jayhawks a standing ovation as they lost that game. So uh, that is that is the spirit of the Jayhawks. And uh, it's 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 a great time to be alive. Is that yeah, the Turner Gill era? Uh, Charlie Weiss era, I think a late Charlie Weiss hmm. era. You know you have a historically crappy program when they give standing ovations to moral victories. <laughs> yes. It was the only time <laughs> I've ever seen that. It was it was pretty awesome. Well, I think you're going to have to go to game day next Saturday morning. Oh, I'll be and there. Then, and report next I'll week. I'll be there. I'll, I'll, I'll steal Lee Corso's hat when he picks uh, TCU. You know, it, it's, it's going to be a, a great event. And the Kansas Jayhawks have not lost at anything since February. So the, I think the last time we lost to was TCU. So uh, yeah, it's not going to happen again. Todd, you got you got any uh, any money on anything this week? 
Uh, well, not today. Yesterday I had my big five-team round robin, so I only need to make th- or win three to get part of it back. And uh, I, yeah, I had Georgia minus twenty-eight and a half. That was probably the worst bet I've ever placed. Uh, they were down by double digits almost the entire game. Somehow won. I wish they would have just lost and just put me out of my misery. But you know. But I mean, I got three out of three out of five right, so it's something. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that did make the day a little bit better to see Mizzou screw that up royally. I don't know how they lost that game. <laughs> that was pretty impressive. Apparently, Mercedes Lewis is in his 17th season. I just saw that flash across the screen. I would not have guessed that he's been around that long. So I, I, I have... I didn't know he was still playing. Yeah, he's on the Packers. I have one bet in for today. Uh, I'm trying to not have to replenish my... Uh, my uh, funds in my account i'm down to really low so i went for a a tiny bet trying to hit it big so i have a i have a two dollar bet on a four te- four game parlay and i've hit the first two so i just i need uh the the bronco i got the broncos plus two and a half and the cardinals plus one if that hits my two dollar bets 27 bucks so there you go yes the broncos are a fun team to bet on i won a lot of money on them last week you can just predict that they're going to squeak out these, you know, like low scoring victories because they're a shit team. They're they're a fun they're a fun predictable team. Unless they're in Seattle and then, you know. That's true. Hey, are we going to bet on the Mariners uh play in game? Is is that a, is that a thing that we can do? I don't well, I don't a, bet I've never bet on baseball. series now, so Oh, is it? Yeah, it's they a three game series. I don't know how it works anymore. Because there's a third series? wild card. So who are they going to play? Either Toronto. it's either Toronto or Cleveland, depending on how the last couple games go. And is there a, a preferred matchup? I don't Probably know. Cleveland, right? How you don't? Yeah. I mean, Toronto's got all that all-star power, but don't the Mariners have a better record than Cleveland? Yeah, but Cleveland's a division winner, so they they're going to get the they're going to get in. The Braves are going to win the East, so you don't have to worry about that. Man. I would say, yeah, I would say, honestly, no, I would rather, no, I, yeah, let me think. Yeah, I'd rather play Cleveland because in playing Cleveland, that means if we get out of the first round, we don't have to play the Astros. Yeah, but think of how much fun it would be to beat the Astros, though. Yeah, but we don't beat the Astros. <laughs> like, like if you look at our record, like, I bet we have, we're, we're solid against like every team in the league and we're like 10 games under 500 against the Astros this year. That's my prediction, but Hey, and plus none of our pitchers are any good anymore. Yeah. Well, they're, they're struggling a little bit, but Hey, Cal Raleigh walk off Homer to, to clinch the playoff spot. That, that was magic on Friday night. So I'm not complaining. Well, let's get into talking about some movies. Uh, that's what we're here for. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing all over uh, the internet, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, make sure you're checking out everything we got going on. We're into season two of Barry and the Almost Sideshow. Um, Adam has taken his daily notes full into October mode, and they are now the daily horror notes as he looks at different uh, different Halloween-themed movies throughout the entire month of October. Make sure you're checking all that stuff out. Zach, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some fabulous Trader Joe's Coastal Cabernet Sauvignon. 
these things are always a crapshoot because this was about four dollars, I think, plus tax in Missouri. And uh, it's pretty good. It goes down really sweet. It's kind of like drinking cotton candy. Um, and, uh, and, and I enjoy it. I don't think Miles would think very highly of it. I think that he would say, like Maya said, they over, they overdid it, but not on the alcohol on the sugar, but, uh, I'm enjoying it for, for four bucks. I can't, I can't, I can't complain. Nice. Nice. Todd. Well, recently I've been really into Rieslings. Um, but, uh, this bottle it's, I mean, it's, it's like in, uh, in the wrestler when, when, uh, he buys that. Uh, that ugly green jacket because hey look it's got an s on it well this one has a t on it i'm not really sure what it means but it's a riesling with a t on it like it actually means tagaris which is some winery in richland washington but uh yeah it's pretty good very nice very nice so i didn't i i have not been to the brewery in a while uh but i've got another costco beer because they've got some great beer so this one this is out of uh belgian a Belgian tradition brewery, Bend, Oregon. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Anyways, this is called uh, the uh, Monkless or Monkless Belgian Ales. I think that's the brewery, and it's their Peppercorn Imperial Wit, Belgian style wheat beer brewed with spices. So it's got a little bit of a bite to it. It's actually pretty good. I hadn't tried it before right now, so it, it, it's good stuff. And I've got I've got a, a background movie behind me, and the randomizer came up today with Big Fish. It's so, a great choice. Big Fish is going on behind me. Everybody loves uh, William Miller in that movie, and um, not William Miller, sorry, uh, Russell from Stillwater. Yes, and um, yeah, just a classic. Albert Finney's death scene breaks your heart every time. I think he was a liar, though. If we're if we're being honest, he's like the old woman in Titanic, just full of shit. <laughs> I mean, that that's a debate for another day, I believe. But uh, it's an interesting. When we uh, do our our big fish there. deep dive next year, because we all love that movie so much, we can talk about those conspiracy <laughs> theories. You know. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. All right. Well, let's get into uh, what we've been watching this week. Uh, Zach, you said you have nothing to report on? No, I mean, I have a movie to report on, but I think we're all going to talk about this movie a little later, so I, I'm yes. just going to shut up. Yes, we're going to try and... We're, we're doing three featured reviews this week, which is, I think, unprecedented. Uh, so we're going to we're gonna try and hustle and through a deep as much dive. as we can here. And a deep dive. We got a lot going on. So, Todd, Big get plans. us through what you talked about, or what you watched. Big night. Uh, so I watched, I think it was a Sundance movie, but it's now um, available to rent. It is called Duel, directed by Riley Steerns. Uh, stars Karen Gillan, and she plays this girl named Sarah, and she's a little like socially awkward, and she uh, she's dating uh, Balula Kowal's character named Peter, and she gets like bizarrely sick, and she's told she's going to die, so she gets this new procedure done to have herself cloned so that it lessens the impact on her friends and family. It's really similar to that movie Swan Song, one of the Swan Songs a year ago. And then when she suddenly like miraculously heals, uh, her clone has already sort of developed as a human. So she's faced with a duel to the death with her clone to see which of the Sarah's is going to live on. And um, the, the opening sequence starts off with a bang. Like Theo James is in it fighting his double in front of like a big audience. It really like kind of sets the tone for the movie. The movie is like pretty nuts. Aaron Paul is also in it. She's, he's like a, a trainer 
uh, preparing Sarah for battle. He, he's a really p- weird casting. He's awesome, but it, he, he almost feels like he'd be more like the main character than his uh, character. Karen Gillan is like, she's awesome. She's got that like almost Aubrey Plaza deadpan humor thing in a really serious setting. So she she's just as uh, uh, crazy in this movie. And, and like she's able to play ordinary in extraordinary circumstances, but still also be funny. It's sort of like The Hunt, I guess, that, that movie a few years ago, but with more character drama. And so this guy, Riley Steerns, like his previous two movies were in my top tens of the year. There were Faults, which is the Mary Elizabeth Winstead movie about like a, a cult and The Art of Self-Defense, which was Jesse Eisenberg learning to defend himself. I don't think there's a director in the world that is more in line with my sensibilities than, than this guy. I mean, like sure, Kevin Smith and Alexander Payne, but that's kind of everybody like, I, I feel like Steren's making movies specifically for me to watch. And, uh, yeah, this movie is no different. It, it's awesome. It's probably going to be in my top ten of the year. It's a three-and-a-half-star movie. Nice. Nice. We should get him on the podcast, man. Or, or get Adam to get him on the podcast, yes. if we're being honest. <laughs> there we go. Cool. All right. I'll have to I'll have to check that one out if I get an opportunity to. On to mine. My uh, Oscar watch for this week. Going back 20 years, 2002, nominated four times for score, cinematography, original screenplay, and actress. Far from heaven? Far from oh, it's heaven. about time. I know, I know. I know you guys were waiting for this to come up on my list. And it finally did. I know this is a top 100, top like 30 movie for both of you. Uh, Adam has it in his top five of, uh, of 2002 as well. Starring Julianne Moore, Dennis Quaid, and Dennis Haysbert. Uh, Julianne Moore plays a 50s housewife in New England and uh, start uh, randomly comes across, I mean, just like stereotypical, perfect uh, setting that you could, you could have. And uh, she randomly discovers something about her husband, which kind of ruins their marriage. And as she's processing it, she meets Dennis Haysbert, the gardener, who uh, is is working in her yard, and they develop a friendship that uh, starts to look like it potentially is more than that. Uh, yeah, this movie. I, I knew you guys loved this movie, and were like, "This is like one of the greatest movies of all time." So I went into this like, "Okay, what makes this movie so great?" And it's such a simple movie, and I think that's what surprised me. I'm like, "Okay, you know, blow my blow my mind," and I'm like it's so simple. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing like super insane about like, about the story. That's a very basic story, but I think what makes this movie special is the performances and the direction. I, I, I love that this was nominated for cinematography because this is one of the few movies that you're, you just watch for the first time. You're like, this is a gorgeous movie. And it and it's not even and it's not like gorgeous as in like Brokeback Mountain is gorgeous. Like look at all the scenery or like Lawrence of Arabia is gorgeous. It's just the the lighting that they're that they use on set and how they how it it all works together is just amazing. And and just the way they light the house is just I, amazing. Uh, Julianne Moore gives a gives an amazing performance here as she's processing yet still trying to put a, a good face on everything uh dennis haysbert does his dennis haysbert thing 
Um, he, I mean, he's this. I think this is where uh, I think this is the the movie that was watched, and uh, Allstate went, "Yeah, we want that guy in our commercials," because um, that's basically what he is in this. Dennis Quaid might be the first time I've ever been like, dude, Dennis Quaid like kind of rocked this one because I'm mm-hmm. never that impressed with Dennis Quaid. And he gives a really, really heartbreaking performance in this. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm giving it three and a half stars. The more I sit on it, it might bump up to four. Uh, I probably need to need a second watch to really uh, to really solidify something like that. But yeah, it is a it, it is a really, really good movie. Well, I'm glad you finally watched it. Like, I consider that movie basically perfect. Like, there's not not a single thing I would change. And it got pretty much got me obsessed with Todd Haynes in, in general, just because, like, the aesthetic and everything about that movie is just so in touch with exactly what he is going for. And I think Julianne Moore's performance is one of the greatest of the of the last 20 years. So, Yeah, I still remember being in the theater, seeing the trailer for this movie. I, I saw it at Moonlight Mile that movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and Susan Sarandon. And uh, that trailer was so good that it actually messed up Moonlight Mile for me because all I could think about was how great Far From Heaven looked. And I remember uh, being in line for it at the Bijou Art Cinema in Eugene, Oregon. Shout out to Bijou RIP. Uh, And uh, yeah, this was one of those movies, one of those real seminal movies for me when I saw it when I was 15 years old, November of 2002. And it was like, this is not a stupid superhero movie. It's not a franchise movie. It's not an Austin Powers movie. Uh, and it's just hey great. Uh, you know, I never thought that those old Douglas Sirk, Nicholas Ray movies were all that exciting, but that, but far from heaven was just like monumental. And, uh, the fact that it plays it straight, it never winks at the camera. It never does anything that is anachronistic to 1957. It's just a beautiful story told like a time capsule. And, uh, the, the music, uh, the cinematography, the costumes are all great. I think it's one of the great last scenes in any movie that I've ever seen. And it's by far Todd Haynes' best movie. Um, it's real criminal that this movie didn't get more love at the 2002 Oscars. But, you know, hey, I mean, everybody just loves Chicago, right? That's that's really the movie that that survived, I guess, you know, had a long legacy. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great movie for, for, for many, many reasons. So I'm, I'm glad you finally watched it, Terry. I think it's a little bit too serious of a movie for us to do a deep dive on it. However, the biggest stick man in that movie is Mona Lawton's husband who insists on having sex with her every day and twice on the weekends. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it was it was a good one. It, it was totally not what I was expecting. I honestly knew nothing about it going into it. So I kind of wanted it to be like that. And... Honestly, I wish I knew something about it now that I watched it, but no, it's good. It's good. All right. We've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Let's get into our featured reviews. And movie number one is the one we watched that was in theaters. We all went to see. However, apparently nobody else did because uh, it kind of bombed at the box office this week. I don't know if you guys saw that. I think it got, let's see here. It, like five it finished, something. yeah, it finished in fourth with four point eight million, which is just a bummer. Uh, but we're talking about Bros. You met a guy? I don't think I'm his type. He's like gay Tom Brady. What are you into? One of these ripped idiots with no opinions? No, I like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. 
And I bet he's as intimidated by you as you are by him. I'm down for whatever. Yeah, I can do whenever and I can do whatever. Cool, whatever, whenever. GIF of Michael Scott dancing. Office GIF? This person isn't gay. This is uh, written by Billy Eichner, directed by Nicholas Stoller. Zach, you're going to go first on this one. Tell us all about it and what you thought. We're talking about bros, not brothers, the Tobey Maguire, Carrie Mulligan movie, just so we're clear about it, right? Natalie Portman, I think, not wrong. One. Yes, anyway, it's not a deadfall situation. Okay, good to know. Um, so bros is uh, the uh, movie uh, with Billy Eichner in it. Now, I don't know. Are you guys Billy Eichner fans? I was not too familiar with him, uh, familiar with Billy on the street prior to this movie. Did you guys ever watch his I, You know, series? about a month ago, we talked about this, and I'm going to say I still don't know who Billy Eichner is. I've I watched a decent amount of Billy on the Street back in the day. Um, I recognized him immediately as the new voice of Timon in the live action Lion King. There we go. Um, yeah. Well, so I, I know who Billy Eichner is. What's interesting, conspiracy theory, this all ties into Julianne Moore because she was on Billy on the Street and even on Instagram this week promoted the movie. Um, anyway, I, it's embarrassing that I knew that. Um, okay, so Bros is uh, Billy Eichner. I don't know how autobiographical it is, but he plays essentially a podcaster. And let's do a drinking game for how many 2022 movies have podcasters as, as main characters, because that's quite a, quite a lot of them. Anyway, in this name, he play in this movie, he plays Bobby Lieber. Um, who is not only a successful podcaster, but uh, he is a curator of a new LGBTQ uh, museum in New York City. Um, he is uh, neurotic. Uh, he has a checkered uh, love life. Um, they kind of show him going on Grinder and hooking up with guys uh, really randomly, very um, emotionless. Um, and uh, one day he's at the club. And he meets Aaron, who in the movie is played by Luke McFarlane, another actor I'd never heard or seen before. Um, and he's kind of like the Tom Brady of uh, gay guys at the club. He's really ripped and he's caught this kind of bro mentality. Um, he doesn't, you know, uh, Bob even kind of questions how truly gay he is because uh, he seems to have some disturbing hetero instincts. But uh, they strike it up. Um, Aaron has some depth to his character that I won't go too much into, but both of them um, find that uh, navigating their relationship in 2022 gay scene in New York City has its complications. This is the first um, mainstream studio comedy with uh, two um, gay men as the leads, as the romantic leads. And so the movie is a historic milestone in some ways. Um, I think it, it, it has, it has some, some hits and misses. Um, I think that the, I'll start with the good stuff. Uh, I think the relationship uh, between the two leads is um, interesting to watch. They obviously have really good chemistry. I like that this movie kind of has a matter of fact look at um, gay relationships, gay male relationships in New York City. It doesn't make it into a taboo. It doesn't make it into a big thing. Um, it just kind of shows it, I think, I, I think for, for, for what it is. Um, I think the, the dialogue in the movie is, is, is smart, it's snappy. Um, and I think Billy Eichner actually has some really good acting chops. There's a few moments in this movie where he's asked to do some really dramatic things. He's got some scenes, some, some single takes that they're not Mia Goth nine minute single takes from uh, Pearl, but you know, he's asked to do quite a bit. He has to cry on camera, kind of go in deeper into his character, which, which is pretty nice. The things I don't like about this movie so much, um, I think it proselytizes a little bit in the sense of, okay, uh, let's talk about LGBT history for the uninformed. 
This is a Judd Apatow produced comedy that's being mass marketed. So I think the movie has this awareness that they're trying to reach beyond um, a quote unquote gay friendly audience. I think they want it to go into more of a mainstream audience. And obviously it's not racking in the big bucks at the box office. I think that's really to the detriment of the movie. I think the movie would have been more radical probably 10 or 15 years ago. It's, it's less radical than it really thinks it is. In part because there are movies like Fire Island that came out earlier this year that I think actually have more nuance and um, sophistication in their in their storytelling and their in their um, characters. I also this movie is keenly aware that uh, the Billy Eichner character is a cis uh, white male, um, and this is a fairly white movie. the uh, The non white non binary characters are kind of token kind of side sort of uh, friend characters, and I just feel like in a movie so hyper aware of its uh, sort of inherent um, deficiencies that it should also be aware of that lack of lack of representation. On a whole, though, I'm giving this movie three stars. It has some nice comic beats to it. I really like the scene where uh, Bobby is introduced to Aaron's family and there's sort of a tete a tete between uh, Bobby and Aaron's mom that I thought was probably the funniest part in the movie. There's some good one liners. Um, there's it, it, this movie kind of exists in a weird, in a weird world where there's some things that are true, like the fact that Deborah Messing is, a, it was a star on Will and Grace, but then there are other things that are not in the world of reality. Maybe they didn't get, they didn't get the rights to them or whatever. It's sort of an odd, um, sort of dichotomy in the movie, but, um, on a whole, it's not as historic or as groundbreaking as it thinks it is. It's not as entertaining or as, uh, well-written as Fire Island, but I did enjoy it and I give it a mild, moderate, uh, three stars. All right, three stars from Zach. Todd, where are you at on this one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I probably liked it less than Zach. It's, it, it's, the movie really thinks it's being knocked up. It's like, it has this really mismatched couple. It's really long. Uh, it's got all these pop culture references and it does calm down a bit, but that doesn't change the fact that all the characters are just really unlikable and really whiny. Like, it, I know that like Apatow made like The King of Staten Island and Trainwreck, like these are, similarly like unlikable leads but the movie the difference with this movie is it's just not funny like all the punchlines were in that insufferable trailer we saw a hundred times the only time i actually laughed was at the scene that they were at the gym uh i, I thought i thought he was like the whatever eichner was doing in that scene was really funny and uh but it just creeps cracking bad jokes and like taking this pretty sweet romance and just kind of pushing it to the side just to like get get, get the like the the jokes in and uh, I don't know why this movie is so long. I know it's an Apatow movie, but and it does have the pulse of an Apatow movie in the ending scenes, but it doesn't warrant that length necessarily. And it is also really arrogant to think that this movie is like being so meta. And it's like, we are going to speak for all queer people with this movie. Like we are the voice of all queer people. It's, a, it's just really sort of annoying. And I was the only person in the theater watching this, which I guess isn't that surprising to see how it flopped, but I, that almost never happens where I'm the only person there. And yeah, I didn't like the movie. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the guy who didn't like The Hangover and Bridesmaids, too, which are two also big studio raunchy comedies that everyone loved. So I don't know that a big audience would have really hoped that anyway. Uh, but uh, it's too chaotic. There's too many cuts. There's too many in-jokes. And it's like a bad SNL sketch extended for two hours. I guess I'll give it two stars. But, man, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So Zach gives it three. Todd gives it two. Break the tie. I'm... I'm in the middle. Um, I'm I'm right on. I'm I'm like in the two and a half to three star range. I I was coming into this thinking I was going to give it three. I but I agree a little bit more with Todd than I do with Zach. 
I, so I'm, I might end up, I think I'm going to end up at two and a half. I, I agree. I, I agree with points that both of you make. I think the biggest problem this movie has is Billy Eichner. I think that he is, I, Zach, you said you, you thought he, he showed some acting chops. I think he was the biggest problem with it in that he, he wrote his character so unlikable that you can't like the movie. Uh, he wrote his character to be such an insufferable ass that um, with where every every other line out of his mouth is is try is like a trying to be a catchphrase uh, and a and a quippy one liner that you can that you can put on a poster. Um, I think if if he wrote this part for anybody else, this movie would have been better because. The, the moments that are best in this is when he shuts up and he lets everything else happen around him. That's when this movie works. Uh, I think that the, the romance between Bobby and Aaron works when he's not, when he's not going off the rails on something. Like I, I felt like half the movie, I felt like Zach, I, I agree or no Todd, I think you're the one that said the, the, um, the gym scene uh, yeah. was, was good. And then uh, the, the scene immediately after that where, uh, where the guy's like, no, no, get out of here. That's kind of what, how I felt about Billy Eichner in this movie. No, just stop. Just stop. Get out of here. Uh, yeah, there's constantly he, characters just running away from him or like, just, just get away from me. I need my, I need some space. Like that, that's exactly the way the audience feels. I, I thought, I thought every other character worked, but for some reason his didn't, I felt like he was, uh, he, he was gay explaining everything and, and trying it like this new, it was a landmark movie. And he was trying to tell you, this is a really important movie in every word that he said. It, it just, he didn't work with that said, everything else did. Uh, the, the other characters worked. I thought the, the conflict that Aaron went through needed to be focused on a little more. I thought that was the most interesting part of the movie. Uh, I love the scenes in the boardroom with the with the group trying to put the museum together. Uh, I love the scene where they uh, go to Provincetown and talk to Bo and Yang. Um, you, of course, it's a it's an Apatow movie, so you have to have the random cameos in there, like Deborah Messing. But yeah, I I I think I'm landing on two and a half stars, and yeah, my biggest issue was <laughs> was Billy Eichner himself. If he writes this for anybody else. I think this is a, a a much better movie, and I think he's got some real act, uh, some real writing chops. If he's not the one he's writing for, yeah, I think you guys are being too hard on it. I I think first of all, I give the movie three stars because I think the world is a better place uh, with this movie in it than not in it, and I think it's important to recognize that there are not a lot of movies with, or uh, certainly not a lot of mainstream movies with uh, gay male leads, and a movie that doesn't. Uh, that I think for in many ways normalizes the characters in a lot of ways. I've never seen a character quite like Aaron portrayed on screen. I've never seen a kind of rugged, rough uh, a gay man who is really physically active. Um, I think his performance is really good. You guys are talking about Billy Eichner. I think this movie comes from, I mean, he wrote it, right? Like he, yeah. it, it obviously comes from a place of authenticity with him. 
I think we're all three of us are agreed that the movie is trying to, it has loftier ambitions than I think it needs to have. And it thinks it's more important than it actually it's is. I agree with way that. too hard. I, I agree with those things at the same time though. I can kind of recognize that this is a, this is a big studio investment. Fire Island was a movie that came out on Hulu. Hulu movies don't need to generate a revenue. This movie does need to generate a revenue. It needs to, and it needs to be for a broader audience than a niche audience. I mean, there were more radical uh, gay movies in the 1980s and 90s than um, this movie is in 2022. The difference is that this is being marketed as a, as a big budget movie, big Apatow movie. And I think actually it, it works. I, I wasn't laughing out loud at it, but I was smiling most of the time in this movie. I think it has some cheap shots at celebrities, that's for sure. But, you know, I think it, it makes some incisive points about how, especially in, in the media, gay characters in movies have been portrayed. It has a lot of interesting, I think, uh, commentary about movies like Brokeback Mountain and even um, uh, Power of the Dog. Um, and I don't know. I don't see a lot of movies talking about uh, having having dialogue like that. So I, I appreciate it. I recognize your guys' flaws with the movie. I very much disagree. I think Billy Eichner is actually really talented and, and I like him a lot in this movie. Um, it just should have been probably smaller in scale. And I agree with Todd. It probably should have been closer to the 90 minute mark instead of two hours. Well, yeah, but you, one thing you can't do is give it three stars just because you can't give the movie a handicap like that. Like that, that's counterproductive. I didn't give it a, even, I, I didn't yeah, give it a handicap. Well, said, I liked it. And you said you I, I, pretty much I, wouldn't I, have given it three stars if it wasn't for the fact that it's a movie that people should see. Like that, I mean, that that's like, that's well, like yeah, giving Black that Panther a best stars? picture nomination. Like you can't give it a handicap. That's bad. That's bad. Well, a handicap, why? Because it's 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 looking at an underrepresented uh, segment of the population. Yeah, but like, that doesn't, has nothing to do with the quality of the movie. Uh, well, yeah, I, I agree, and I think the quality of this movie is high, relatively high quality. It's it's not it's not amazing, but I think given that you know um, it's a two hour rom com, it was entertaining for the most part, and I like Billy Eichner, and the writing is fine. It's not mind blowing, but listen. The, I think the biggest hurdle this movie has, it's kind of like that scene, I think a pretty funny scene, where uh, uh, Billy Eigner is talking to um, his straight friends who actually have a family, and he says something along the lines of, you know, uh, being being gay was so much more fun when straight people weren't trying to monopolize it, right? Or, or uh, uh, When they were uncomfortable with it, yeah, it was in the trailer. Yeah, that was in the trailer too. I kind of feel, I kind of feel the same way about this movie. I kind of like, I kind of like gay movies when they were a little bit more niche and not Apatow, big budget, uh, mega, megaplex type movies. But I think for the most part, uh, this movie did succeed without a lot of nuance in terms of um, maybe incisive character development, but with enough to make me like it and enjoy the characters and in, in this in this uh, scenes. I think one thing it it does do first i agree i agree that it is it's a it's an important movie it's kind of a landmark movie in in some ways and and that it is it has it has some importance to it because of that um i will also say one of the things i have going for it is i watched this yesterday afternoon and i haven't really been able to stop thinking about it too which is a good thing about the about a movie like this too it's not it's not a forgettable movie um now i completely forget what my other point was going to be uh <laughs> i think i think terry I, it would be curious for you to see fire island which both todd and i saw and both of us agree was a better movie and kind of because fire island in, in some ways i think addresses some of the um issues and the debates and the rhetoric in this movie but again in a, in a much more nuanced and articulate way 
Um, it's a different kind of movie. Obviously, it's targeted in a different way. It kind of makes bros not look as great by comparison. But I will say that Billy Eichner is a unique voice. And there are things in this movie that I think are pretty heartfelt and genuine. Yeah, well, and I think part of it, I remember what I was going to say. Um, this is truly, Todd mentioned the Apatow formula. And one of the things with the Apatow formula I always find in his movies is that there's this certain shock value of the first like 10, 15 minutes as you settle into whatever the, the, um, the comedy, the, the film is going for, like, it takes you a second to settle in and be like, okay, now I know what kind of movie I'm watching here. And I feel like this one just wants to keep you in shock. Um, and I think part of one thing that shows that, and again, again, another thing I didn't like about Billy Eichner's character, he feels like a very static character. I, I don't feel like he necessarily learns anything throughout the movie. Like, you know, you have, you, you, you go to Knocked Up and you have, you, you know, you have Ben Stone who, you know, adapts and learns and, and becomes a better person by the end of the movie. This, I feel like it's like, well, I'm not going to change. Everyone else is going to change to me. And, and in the end, it's like, yeah, I, we did. Yay. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of the moral of the story. Um, well, I think the filmmakers would agree with you, Terry. He's not the character that's meant to change. It's Aaron who goes through the transformation in the movie. Like, yeah, I mean, B Billy Eichner, the, the only thing that Billy Eichner gains in the movie is, is more confidence in terms of his relationships and in, in terms of his kind of, um, uh, self-assuredness. But, you know, I, I think, you know, and Todd pointed this out a little bit earlier. I think it's better that this movie is in the world. I think it's better that we show characters who don't often get a lot of screen time. Does that maybe influence my opinion of this movie? Yes. That being said, though, it was still an enjoyable movie to watch, I think, because of that. And so for me, when I watch a movie, you know, I think about Ebert's line about, you know, movies are a machine that's meant to generate empathy. I empathize with these characters. I understood their struggles in maybe ways that I didn't know or quite understand as a cis hetero white male before watching this movie. Did this movie need a little bit more diversity uh, in an ironic way? Yes, it also did. But that being said, I liked it. And and my point, I, I guess, is you can't have the main character, the heart of your movie, be a static character. That that I that I see a problem in the writing, and I see a problem with him writing it to writing it to be him. That so that's that's my my main issue with it. But again, it, it is an important movie. Think, it is a fun movie. I haven't been able to get it out of my head. I think the movie we're going to deep dive has a main character who's a pretty static character. Yeah, but that's a farce. There's, there's a big difference there. <laughs> this isn't a farce. It's an Apatow movie, but it. I, no, it's not. <laughs> did Amy Schumer change that much in Train? I thought a lot about Trainwreck watching this movie. There was a lot. I, did, of, I know, didn't like Trainwreck, Trainwreck either. Yeah, and I didn't love Trainwreck, but I think in some ways it's about a similar character. Who you're right. I mean, to some people, maybe that you know the the uh, protagonist is a little much to handle at times, but. I found myself kind of um, digging them and, and and sort of liking their vibe as the movie went further and further along. See, it's more like Staten Island than it is like Trainwreck, but it is like Trainwreck too. And I liked Staten Island. I, I thought that I thought that one worked because your your main character wasn't static. Anyways, all right, Zach's giving it three stars. I'm giving it two and a half. Todd's giving it two. Uh, it is in theaters, and I I will say, go see this movie. It it deserves to be seen. Uh, even though it's not, it may not be a perfect movie, uh, some would argue whether it, it even is a good movie, but it's it's a movie that needs to be seen.
So go see it. Uh, all right. Well, the other two movies we're going to talk about are two movies that you don't have to go anywhere to see because they released on streaming this weekend. And so let's get into our next one, which is one of the more interesting and conversation worthy movies of the fall season so far. And that is blonde. I know you're supposed to get used to it. And we all lose our jobs in the end. But I just can't. I've played Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe. I can't face doing another scene with Marilyn Monroe. Uh, the story of Marilyn Monroe. Todd, you're starting this one out. Tell us about Blonde. Okay, Blonde is directed by Andrew Dominic. And uh, it is the story of Norma Jean Mortensen or Marilyn Monroe, played by Anna de Armas. And the movie shows her childhood through her ultimate demise, checking in on her with several different partners she has and films that she's a part of, while providing flashbacks to show why her life was so complicated. Her mother's played by Julianne Nicholson. Uh, Bobby Cannavale plays Jolton Joe DiMaggio. Adrian Brody's Arthur Hiller. Casper Philipson is JFK. Um, some guy is playing Daryl Zanuck and she also has like an ongoing thing going on with uh, Edward G. Robinson's son and Charlie Chaplin's son. Uh, the movie is like classic rise and fall stuff. It has a format of any biopic, but it's like this big swarming epic feel. Andrew Dominic previously directed The Assassination of Jesse James by the Cow Robert Ford and I really like that style. Uh, people will sort of rebelled against him and when like killing them softly flopped, but this is a really intriguing project because his movies are always a little bit too speculative, a little bit too long, a little bit too slow, but it's hypnotic to watch. And the, the movie's closest relative is, I think, 1992's Chaplin, which is also expans expansive and really ambitious and kind of cold. And the movie has been controversial. It stretches the truth for sure. I think the NC-17 rating is kind of a joke. It's almost like that is like helping their marketing. Uh, it feels... It, it plays like a TV special, but with the scope of like a big 90s Oscar player kind of thing. And, and I think it's gorgeous to look at. I, I wish I had seen it on a big screen. Anna de Armas is fantastic. Uh, she isn't doing an impersonation, which I really like. And that way it's sort of like Kristen Stewart in Spencer last year. The score, I think, is mesmerizing. It's a big, tragic mess. And I kind of respect that how the guts to go where it goes. And I'm giving it three stars. I'll agree with one thing you said. This movie is a big, tragic mess. Um, and uh, yeah, I I don't see there's I don't see any way that you could say that this movie is formulaic in any way. Um, maybe in, in just the basic, you know, it starts at the beginning and ends at the end. But there nothing else it does is is formulaic. And it, it honestly needed a little bit more formula. Because this, it felt like a movie that told the story of this character, but left out the plot. Uh, it just told it through these random motifs. Um, I've never seen a movie have so many just close-ups of a person's face, um, as because that's all. That's how what seventy percent of the movie is just looking at her face. Or her topless. I, I mean, those are really the two main main ways you you see her. Uh, I I was trying to understand what 
Andrew Dominic was doing with the aspect ratio and what he was doing with the with the changes from black and white to color, none of it made sense. It and it looked like it was completely random and uh and had no point to it at all other than to show that he was trying to be artistic. Um yeah, the, this needed to be a little more standard because there was there was no standard to it. Uh Ana de Armas is good. I mean, she she's solid, but she's on stage crying for two and a half hours. So they 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 didn't try to do anything else with her character except show all the tragic moments. It um I don't know. I'm giving it two stars. It's shot for the fences, and I think it it missed horribly. That's where I'm at. Zach, you shoot for the fences. You swing for the fences. Swing. You, you, you could shoot the this, fences. The, Make a hole in the fence. They they swung for the bullseye, and uh and missed the target. <laughs> they got a seven ten split. Exactly. All right. Uh, so three stars from Todd, two stars from me. Zach, tell us why it's a two and a half star movie. Well, it, uh, it's a two and a half star movie for me because. Um, I cannot possibly give this movie thumbs up. It is long. <laughs> it is indulgent. But you want to. <laughs> but I really want to. You are this absolutely right. This is what right. you sound like. I sounded like on Bros. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this movie is confusing. On the one hand, um, it is tedious to sit through. It's it helps that it's on Netflix. I took you know seven and a half bathroom breaks during this movie, and I, every one of them was needed. Um, it is depressing. It is lifeless at times. You watch this movie, Marilyn Monroe, one of the great icons of this century, and it is just tragic, uh, depressing. Um, Marilyn Monroe fans, I think that's the real reason why this movie is probably getting shit on on Rotten Tomatoes. All these boomer uh, critics grew up with gentlemen prefer blondes and that kind of bubbly Marilyn Monroe, and they were expecting something a lot more shiny and happier. Um, these kind of biopics, Todd mentioned, um, you know, uh, Chaplin. Um, that's a, that's that's actually one I hadn't thought of. I was more thinking the uh, for the Diane Arbus movie with with Nicole Kidman, kind mm. of closer to the DNA of this movie. In it, that's avant garde experimental, but also really looking at the dark side of uh, a public figure. Um, actually, though, the real comparisons are, and, and there's a lot of cinematic DNA in this movie. The Pablo Lorraine movies. I mean, Jackie yeah, I and Spencer. Uh, Spencer as well, in the sense that they're they're it, they're all kind of horror movies. They're looking at how. This woman uh, who was, you know, massacred in the spotlight all the time had to live with this kind of internal, um, you know, fear and paranoia um, about paparazzi, but also about the men in her life, about the, the constant abuse that she was suffering. I think Ana de Armas is really interesting casting. She doesn't have a perfect American accent in this movie. And at first it was kind of distracting. And then I kind of liked it in a weird way. I think the movie probably also has some DNA in that Todd Haynes, Bob Dylan movie. Like, I think maybe the director liked that this was sort of an, maybe in some ways an unconventional casting choice. I wished maybe the movie had actually gone maybe even a little bit more experimental and instead of trying to be a, a straightforward biopic with avant-garde sensibilities. Um, I also thought about Elvis. Elvis was a three-hour biopic that distorted history and also was basically a three-hour commercial for the director's style. This movie, though, was a lot more interesting because I think it actually cared about Marilyn Monroe, and I think it, it sought to 
show her struggles in a way that people maybe didn't understand or couldn't understand and that we choose to throw under the rug uh, or uh, in, in the way we talk about her. Um, I like the first 15 minutes of this movie. I thought it was an interesting way to open. I really liked the last 35 minutes. I think the whole movie probably should have just been her, the last couple years of her life. I think the exposition in the middle is, is kind of muddled. doesn't really do anything for the movie. I have no idea what the menage a trois scenes were. Apparently, I, I don't know if those were real or not. Those also gave the movie the NC-17 rating, uh, even though it's really not graphic at all. But those last those last 30 minutes or so, which I guess is a little bit reminiscent of the Gus Van Sant film Last Days, they're pretty harrowing, and um, you, they kind of call to mind again some Aronofsky, Requiem for a Dream type stuff. There's a little bit of Terrence Malick in there, too. I wish the movie had just kind of focused on those scenes, which are really linger and stay with, with you. Um, a complex movie that has a lot of ambition, and I appreciate the director for having the guts to do something that ambitious and weird and um, unsettling for, for most viewers and unsatisfying for most viewers, too. It's a very, very sympathetic two and a half stars. I think people should watch it. And um, I probably, maybe I'll give the movie three stars at a certain point. It's just the whole thing is hard to sit through. And um, I don't know. I think Adrian Brody doesn't look at all like Arthur Miller, but you know, whatever. I think again, those scenes were, were unnecessary in the movie. Yeah. I thought a lot about Spencer when I was watching this too, by the way, talking about Pablo Lorraine, Casper uh, Philipson, uh, who played JFK also played JFK and Jackie. So uh, there's a connection there, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's like, I I felt Spencer worked in, in how it, in, cause it had a simple story to tell. This is, this is like, if you took, took those sensibilities, crank them up a couple notches and then try to tell an entire life story with them. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It, It just, it's just messy. And, uh, yeah, I, I felt like I so I watched an hour of this Friday night and then um, was falling asleep. So I picked it up again this morning, but I felt like I didn't need to watch the end of it because in the first hour I knew exactly it, 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 it felt like one of those documentaries where uh, you know how there's some documentaries where um, the movie might be an hour and a half, two hours long, but a half hour into the movie, you're like, OK, I it's just going to keep doing this over and over again. I don't really need to see the rest of it because yeah. I know exactly what kind of movie it is. That's what I felt about Blonde. I watched the first hour of it and I said, I don't really need to see the rest of it to really understand what's going on here because it's just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Something's going to happen. You're going to show a close up of her face crying or a fetus and, or, or, a, or a fetus talking to her from the womb. Um, see, but uh, I, I, I was, I was mesmerized by the whole thing. I, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with it because like, I don't think the, th- like it was like two hours and what, 45 minutes or something. I, I think it kind of, Went by rather quickly. It felt way shorter than Bros. I, I don't know. Oh, I mean, it, like, it. <laughs> yeah. The, the beginning of this movie is really interesting. It, it was like it, it reminded me of Firestarter or something, and it was like a really strange way to start a movie like this. But then, but it also felt like any like biopic you're ever going to see on TV that is like you're watching the 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 child have their traumatic moment and then they're going to eventually or immediately go to when they're like in the middle of their career or something. It's like the, the exact same thing you see in all these kind of movies, but it's done in such a different way that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm like, I, I was totally in watching it. I think people have also been shitting on the director, Andrew Dominic. He, he gave an interview in the Hollywood reporter where he kind of talked about how his approach to the movie 
almost made Marilyn Monroe irrelevant. It's it's almost as though he he wanted to do this kind of movie, but the but the actual person was irrelevant in a way. And I think a lot of again boomer fans of Marilyn probably uh, despised that sort of sentiment. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I I agree with both of you. I'm I'm right in the middle. I can't possibly give it a thumbs up because it's too much of a mess. But I agree with almost everything that Todd has said about the movie. And I think stylistically, sw swing for the fences, I think, is the right expression, um, is something I will always value over some dumbed-down commercial piece of bullshit. And I think this director has something to say. And I think that the people who made this movie were trying really hard to say something that hasn't always been expressed very well in the movies that we've seen with, about Marilyn Monroe. Frankly, uh, my, my Week with Marilyn and Norma Jean and Marilyn, I think it has an interesting viewpoint and perspective. Uh, but it's too redundant, like Terry was saying. And again, we, as a, as a, it didn't need to be a, 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 a comprehensive biopic. Yeah, those director sensibilities, we really needed the shot from inside the toilet of her puking. We really, that, that was a shot I, I was waiting to see in a movie. And there's another one that's even more disturbing that I'm not even going to mention. Yeah, but you All know, right. I think I like directors who are deconstructing the myth of American glamour, you know, and the myth of the American sleepover. Like, this movie is doing something really unique. And the POV shots through the vagina, which I think you might be alluding to, great shot. I, I approve of it. I think it's something Apatone could have tried. Angles. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, you're telling me you guys haven't had a flight like she did at the end of the movie when she's flying to Washington, D.C. and she's drunk on the airplane. I, that was one of the great drunk plane sequences ever. Uh, you know, Denzel would have been proud of that is all I'm saying. Whip Whitaker, I think, was his name. Yes, there you go. All right. Two stars for me, two and a half from Zach, three from Todd. I don't know. I feel like it has gone completely exactly as I thought it would on all, on both our movies so far. So now let's talk about one more. And Zach hasn't seen this one, but uh, I I kind of know what he's going to say already anyways. Um, and so we'll see how this one goes. I think I know what Todd's going to say too, but I'm going to start this one. We're talking about the greatest beer run ever. Do these protesters not know that our soldiers see that on TV? I'd like to go over to Vietnam, track down all the boys in the neighborhood, and give them a beer. I could do that. Do what? Bring him beer. He's not serious. He's hammered. Look at him. The man's stone sober. That's his fifth beer, maybe. Tops. I'm going to Vietnam, and I'm bringing him beer! Yeah! It debuted on Apple TV Plus this weekend. By the way, Blonde is on Netflix if you want to watch it. This is also playing in a bunch of theaters, too. I could have gone to see it. Yeah. I, I, I didn't see it in theaters, but it's on well, Apple it's TV it, Plus. And everywhere not regal, basically. Ah, well, that would do it. Uh, I saw it on Apple TV+. Plus. It's directed by Peter Farrelly. It is his follow-up to Green Book, his best picture win. And this is the story of uh, Chicky Donahue, played by Zac Efron, based on a true story. Uh, he is uh, at home watching all of his friends go over and fight in Vietnam and die in Vietnam. And he decides uh, he is going to take it upon himself to go over and thank them for their service by bringing them a beer. What's more American than sitting down and having a PBR with your buddies in the middle of a war zone. So uh, he loads up a duffel bag. He's a merchant Marine. So he's able to get passage to, to Vietnam and he, uh, and he goes and finds all the buddies from his neighborhood and gives them beer. 
and discovers that the war isn't necessarily what everyone has been trying to tell him it is on uh, on TV. You have uh, Bill Murray is in this as the bartender. Uh, Russell Crowe is a uh, is a uh, a journalist in Vietnam, uh, and the only other face that I recognized was uh, Paul Adelstein randomly plays his dad, but he I couldn't for the for the longest time figure it out figure out if it was Paul Adelstein or if it was uh, Bobby Cannavale. Uh, okay. It it, it kind of looked the same, but uh, this movie. Uh, gosh, we're, we're talking about three messes of a movie and this is another one, but it's, I feel this one, I feel very similar to how I feel about bros in that it's a movie that's stuck with me. I haven't been able to get it out of my head, but it is, there's a lot of stuff wrong with this movie. The first like 20 minutes is horribly written as it's setting everything up. It, it feels like one of his slapstick comedies in how, in just, dumb dialogue, dumb writing. Once it gets to Vietnam, it actually starts to work a little better. Zac Efron is kind of horrible in it and also kind of perfect at the same time. Um, Russell Crowe is actually the standout. Like when he shows up, it really gets interesting. And uh, I'm, I'm on, I'm like right on two and a half, three stars. I'm probably going to say, now, I'm giving it two and a half stars. I'm saying two and a half stars for, for the greatest beer run ever. Again, it's another one. It's stuck in my head. I've been thinking about it ever since I watched it Friday night. But it's just got too much too much wrong with it. The dialogue is dumb. Um, it the direction isn't isn't great. Uh, but at the same time, it's this crazy story that's based on a true story, and it's a story that needs to be told. I mentioned with bros, I thought Billy Eichner was the problem. I think the problem here is just the fact that it was made by Peter Farrelly. If this was made by anybody else, it could have, it could have done the story a little bit more justice, but um, that's, that's where I'm at with the greatest beer run ever. It's good, but it could have been so much better and it just isn't quite there to, to recommend it fully. Todd, what do you think? Yeah, this is one of those, uh, it's like a movie that's custom made for, the, or it's like a story custom made for the movies. It's one of those like stranger than fiction kind of things. And uh, to me, it, it seemed like, okay, so one of the co-writers is the the winner of the first Project Greenlight. And I kind of feel like the beginning of the movie is more his movie than Peter Farrelly's movie because Farrelly has a really, like recently has a, has a pretty good way of like making like domestic drama kind of stuff. Um, But I... And uh, I, I think it's funny that they're like, yeah, we, we came up the, this move, like we came up this idea. This is totally true. And it was while he was stone cold sober, he was only five beers in, you know, like, uh, <laughs> of course, said by Bill Murray, which is the least Bill Murray role I've ever seen. Like his voice is yes. different. His like demeanor, his characterization is no Bill Murray in it at all. I don't really feel bad for having him as a supporting actor contender in January. But um, Russell Crowe is awesome, too. He, he's like Brad Pitt in The Lost City. Like he just like shows up and he's like the guide after that. It's good. It's pretty pretty cool. And Zach Efron, of course, he's so naive. It's like the hit and his likability makes him like the ideal hero in this. I think it's the best movie of the week that I saw. Like I was glued to the screen, just like scratching my head because you're, I was just genuinely curious about how the hell is this going to actually work. And it's 
it's really cinematic. It just moves the adventure aspects. I really made me wish I had seen it on a big screen. And, and critics are like hilariously trashy because they don't want it to be Green Book, but it's Apple TV. So people are actually going to see this one even more. And it's even more crowd pleasing and even more satisfying than Green Book. And I wasn't even a fan of Green Book. I gave it two stars, but I've seen it probably like three or four times just because it's so watchable. That's because Peter Farrelly makes it watchable. And this movie is no different. I also really like the message of this movie where it's essentially looking at all the people in the in the United States, all the picketers, all the know-it-alls, all the influencers and being like, hey, what you're doing is nothing compared to actually being a hero and going to do something about it yourself. And I, I, I really love that. I think that's something that needs to be said. And I don't know why this movie is rated R. There's no swearing in it. There's almost no violence. Forrest Gump is more rated R than this. Um, I also love that his giant sack of beer never runs dry. Like it totally would have been gone after the first stop, but he's like Santa Claus with that thing. And that, that couldn't be a mistake. I, I mean, I'm giving this, a, it's definitely a high three-star movie. Yeah, it it almost bludgeons you over the head with the messaging though. And and I think it definitely is trying to, to say something about today in that you can't always trust whatever the media's thrown at you uh, as it's talking about how, uh, how the media was... Um, or how the government was saying that the media was distorting things and, and all this stuff uh, of, of what was going on in Vietnam, uh, how you, you can't just, just take what's being said it, but it like, it, it almost felt like, uh, like how Spike Lee bludgeons you over the head with his message. That's kind of what it felt like at times and how, and how thick headed it thinks that it's watchers are in this. And maybe some of them are, but, um, but yeah, that's, I hear what you're saying. It is extremely watchable. Like of the three movies, it is the most watchable movie. Yeah, I can, we... go, I can watch it again right now. I would have no problem with it because that's that's the Peter Farrelly in it. He he somehow and this is over two hours and I never felt longer than you know ninety minutes. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. It might it might end up three stars for me. I'm gonna say two and a half for now. Uh, Zach, you need to see it so you can give it the two star review that it that uh that we need on the podcast. So. No, I'm just I'm waiting for a some Golden Globe nominations, maybe sneak in a Best Director nominate. Well, not director, screen screenplay nomination. I mean, I think the Oscars love the Fairley Brothers, so I think this movie could be a contender. Well, uh, but I mean, see, that's the thing. It's like critics have buried it so that it doesn't do that, even though this is the exact same kind of movie as Green Book. But, right. Well, the critics buried Green Book too. I mean, I feel like they're going to. No, come they didn't. That, that was like a that was like an eighty percent of Rotten Tomatoes. This is like a thirty five percent or something. I think everyone a... everyone is like is trying to just bash this as much as possible because they saw what happens if they're mediocre on a movie like this when they saw what Green Book did. Yeah, this is their statement about Green Book. They want to yeah. they want to write the ship historically with Green Book. And I think come December, they're going to realize, oh, actually, this was a good movie. And we actually liked it just like we actually like Green Book. And I don't I think, think so. I, I think I, I like I like the uh, I like the plus twelve hundred odds here. I think I'm going to if, the, money if this was released widely in theaters, I think it actually would be a pretty big hit regardless of what critics said. But since it's on Apple I, TV, we're not going it's... to know what people actually think of it until the awards start rolling out. See, well, last Green we Book, saw oh, Apple TV Plus won Best Picture last year. So, and I, th I think it, yeah, exactly. It, the brand absolutely feeds into Oscar voters. Green Book, though, I, I think is is a completely different animal. I mean, that won the Audience Award at TIFF. I mean, it it it's it had yeah, and got horrible reviews and didn't get in, didn't go anywhere. 
it it was like after after the fact everyone at first everyone's like oh yeah green book great movie and then it's like whoa 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 not best picture movie but uh i i think that's kind of what happened with green book and now this one i don't i don't see this getting i mean maybe maybe you could see one or two tech nominations for it but that's that's about it it's not the type of movie that would that would get up there it's not the it's more approachable but it's not the the right type of mix of prestige and crowd pleasing that you would see in like a green book i think of the three movies that we reviewed the the most likely nomination we get is probably best original song for bros i was thinking the but, same thing but also maybe anadarmus if they really want to go there but i mean i don't think any of these are really going to be nominated for anything yeah, I would probably say Anna de Armas is the is the most likely, but that song from Bros was pretty awesome. All I, right. I think Blonde could get some novelty Golden Razzie nominations, like, you know, best yeah. fetus POV shot. <laughs> best supporting okay. actor for every guy that she dates. That'd be something they would do. Sure. Probably. All right. So two and a half from me, three from Todd. Zach's going to see the greatest beer run ever. It's on Apple TV Plus. Apparent, well, you should. Apparently, uh, it's in theaters some places. Uh, you should check it out. All right, we're an hour into this, and now we're finally getting to our deep dive, and this is going to be a fun one. 25 years of Austin Powers. He's a swinger in a square world. A lot's changed since 1967. Bring on the sexy stews, man! Yeah! We're called flight attendants now. And he's a stranger in a strange land. This is my mother, Mrs. Exposition. Lovely. Help, Austin! What have you done? That's not your mother, it's a man, baby! Why won't this wig come I can't believe it's been 25 years since this came out, but it has. We're going to talk all things Austin Powers, international man of mystery. Just looking at the first one, because that's the one that's 25 years old. We're starting with trivia. I'm hosting trivia, and uh, Zach's going to start. Todd's going to step out. So Todd, unplug and go home. And he's gone. Okay. You ready, Zach? Yes, I'm going to lose this, but probably uh, it was it was fun while it lasted. It, it's it's extensive and somewhat detail oriented. Great. Um. Yeah, I tried. I tried, but I, I do know I, Austin's middle name. Is that one of the questions? I did write no, that down. No, it's not. Okay. Okay. This is a set. This is 17 questions worth 30 points. I just wow. kept on writing down questions and I couldn't stop. So, uh, there, there's some, there's some layups in here, I think, but there's some really hard ones too. Okay. The first question is who is the first henchman killed by Dr. Evil? Uh, Jurgen. Jurgen is correct. Good job. Uh, what is the name of the magazine Austin Powers was on the cover of in the opening title sequence? Life magazine. Uh, next question where does dr evil set his trap for austin that results in the big boy rocket launch uh in the nightclub um what's the name of it the electric pussycat swingers club you missed one word so i'm Ah. gonna give you a half point it was the electric psychedelic pussycat swingers club oh come on i should get a full point Uh, you'll, you'll get half okay this next question is worth one two three four five six seven eight nine points uh, what were the items in Austin Powers' personal effects? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, we have the, the Swedish-made penis enlarger. That is correct. 
the credit card receipt that was the for the purchase of said penis enlarger. Correct. Uh, I believe there was a warranty that also went with it. That is correct. Um, there was also the book written by Austin Powers that because that's his jam, baby. That's his jam. That's part um, of the title. Oh no, I, it was my bag. That was my the, ba- that was okay. The, yeah. Excuse me, a Burt Bacharach record. Lots that of Burt Bacharach in this movie. It was pretty exciting. <laughs> uh, his boots. His boots. The medallion with the male symbol on it. That is correct. Uh, the velvet suit that he was wearing. One more. Um, I can't believe I got that many. Um, <laughs> so, cufflinks. I don't know. The frilly lace cravat. I knew it was something along those lines. Cufflinks yeah. should get a half point, but okay. Um, what I'm is the name of, of the what is the name of the band in the transition breaks? Oh God, I can't remember. I I can't remember. It's called Ming T. Yep. Um. All right. Why was Mustafa very badly burned, then shot, then eventually killed? Hmm. That's interesting. I don't know if I remember that. I mean, I obviously remember the scene. I don't remember why he was thrown into the pit. Uh, I don't know. I forget. Uh, Mr. Bagelsworth lost his hair in the unfreezing process. Ah, okay. Because he designed that. He designed it. My design was perfect. We did not take into account feline sensitivities. That was a Um, good, that was a good question, Terry. I just flattery get me a half point for that. Cause that, that was, that was a nice question. I'll, 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 I'll take it under consideration. Okay. Okay. Uh, what what is the name of the legitimate face of Doctor Evil's Evil Empire? Um, like what's the uh, company v- name? Virchicon. Virchicon is correct. Uh, next one is worth four points. What nicknames does Austin Powers use for his genitals? Uh, <laughs> uh man, I should have wrote that down. My my something in bits. Um. I'll I'll give you I'll give you that I think you're gonna need it my meat and two bits my meat and two bits that's all I got I did not I went through that scene and did not pay attention the other ones are my bits and pieces my wedding tackle and my twig and berries very clever next question what Vegas hotel do Austin and Vanessa stay at uh the Venetian no it's the Riviera ah classic. Uh, what is on Scott Evil's shirt when he is first introduced? A Radiohead t-shirt. I don't know. Uh, I'll give you a half point for that. It's Kurt Cobain. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was close. Yeah, you, you had the right idea. Um, what homonym did Dr. Evil use to describe the, fem- the fembots? Uh, what is a homonym? A uh, word that has two meanings. Um... Even porcelain. Says, porcelain. It's a homonym. No, no, not no. porcelain. It's um shit. I know I know exactly what you're talking about. It's um it's something like the word porcelain. Uh I don't remember though. What is it? I like seeing women of that caliber. Caliber, yes. And it was unfunny then and it's still unfunny now. It's a homonym. Uh what are the two things that scare Austin Powers? Carnies. And um, monogamy, nuclear no. war, nuclear war. That's right. Like there are only two things that scare me, and one of them is nuclear war. And what's the other? Okay. Uh, 
Ooh, this was an interesting one. What does Dr. Evil have in his hand during the group therapy session? No idea. A baseball. I thought that was interesting. Uh, what did Dr. Evil's father claim to have invented? The question mark. That is correct. Um, what was Austin drinking during his all-nighter of culture ketchup? Oh, oh. Oh, I know. Uh, I, I can see it. It's some sort of soda that was big in the, in the 90s. I can't remember it, the like peach fizz or something like that. I, I can't remember. That. There's two things. There's there's about 15 empty cans of, of tab and an empty bottle of Captain Morgan. OK. Um, what turns on the video feed to the U.N. when Dr. Evil can't work the remote? No idea. Beavis and Butthead. And the last question, uh, this is only worth one point. List the three Austin Powers movies in order of domestic box office numbers, greatest to least. So what made the most money at the box office, the second most, and then the least of the three Austin Powers movies? I would go you have three, to get two, all three in order. Three, two, it. one. Goldmember, Spy Who Shagged Me, and first one. That is correct. Goldmember, 213 million. Spy Who Shagged Me, 206. Uh, the first one, 53. I was respectable. Mm -hmm. I think Todd will still beat me, but it's better than I thought I would do. All right. Todd is now back. Todd, there are 17 questions worth 30 points. Uh, I just I just kept writing questions and, and they're good questions. Zach will attest to that. He got one 15 of them was really points. Good. He he tried to he tried to give flattery point from was flattery. One of them, but you got how much? 15? You got 15. You got 15. Okay. All right. First question, who is the first henchman killed by Dr. Evil? I I mean, I don't know what any of those guys' names were. The only way you know is the name was next to the button when he hit it. Zach actually got this one right. It's Jurgen. Jurgen. Yep. Okay. Uh, what is the name of the magazine Austin Powers was on the cover of in the opening title sequence? Time? No, it looked like time, but it was fab. Okay. Um, what is the name of the nightclub where Dr. Evil set his trap for Austin that results in the big boy rocket launch? It's um, it's a long name. Something, yes, it is. Something, 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 swingers club. Yes. I'm going to give, I'll give Todd a half a point and Zach, you're getting an extra point. Or your yeah. extra half. My point half back. point was way more impressive than that. Yeah, he guess, got four okay. of the five five words. It's the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club. Zach got every word except psychedelic. All right. This next one is worth what was it? Nine points. It's worth nine points. Uh, what are the items in Austin Powers personal effects? Uh, the crushed blue suit. Correct. The frilly lace cravat. Correct. The male symbol silver medallion. Correct. The Burt Bacharach plays his hits, final record. Correct. Um, the and Italian I'll give you a half boots. Point for actually having the, the title of the album right. Italian boots is correct. Uh, the Swedish penis and larger pump, along with the credit correct. card receipt, the warranty card. Correct. And the book, the Swedish oh. pe penis and larger pumps, and me. This sort of thing is my bag, baby, signed by or, or written by Austin Powers. Yes. I think All the right. best thing about that is that book looks very lengthy, at least 500 pages. <laughs> and at why least. does he have all that stuff on him when he, when he 
hardcover edition too. All right, Todd got an extra paperback. half a point for getting the uh, the exact title of the book right, and the exact title of the Burt Bacharach album. That was impressive. Um, next question: What is the name of the band in the transition breaks? I have no idea. Wow, I thought that was that a weird question, man. For sure, it's extra Ming textual. Key. It's never mentioned in the movie. Oh, the one they're the same that are in Goldmember. Yeah. Did not realize that. Yep. All right. Why was Mustafa very badly burned, then shot, then eventually killed? Oh, because the freezing chamber screwed up Mr. Bigglesworth. That is correct. And he was shot because he was still alive. Yes. Yes. Very, <laughs> very badly burned. Okay. Okay. Yes. Dead. Okay. Um. What is the name of the legitimate face of Dr. Evil's evil empire? Virchicon. That is correct. Uh, worth four points. What nicknames does Austin Powers use for his genitals? Um, meat and two veg. Wedding tackle. Um... He says, like, uh, my boys. See if my boys are still alive. He does no, say that. That's a different. Well, that's the same. He says it, but it wasn't like in the in the like run of four straight things he says. Anyways, I'm giving you a half point because it was it was my meat and two bits. It wasn't two veg. Um, that's probably in cold member. Uh, uh, that could be one. So what was two, the other ones? And three. Okay, we're good. Uh, the other ones were bits and pieces and my twig and berries. Twig and berries. Uh, what Vegas hotel do Austin and Vanessa stay in? Um, Bellagio? No, it's the Riviera. Riviera. Okay. I thought you guys would get, would would notice that. All right. Uh, what is on Scott Evil's shirt when he is first introduced? Kirk Cobain. That is correct. Uh, what homonym did Doctor Evil use to describe the fembots? Caliber. It, it's a homonym. Yes, that's correct. Um, what are the two things that scare Austin Powers? One is nuclear war. The other are Connie circus folk. Nomads smell like cabbage, which pays off when you get to when you get to gold <laughs> member, which is great. Um, yeah, yeah, but, well, yeah, because his dad says it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> song smell cabbage. Yeah. Uh, what does Doctor Evil have in his hand during the group therapy session? A baseball. Yeah. Why does he have a baseball? I was gonna ask that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what does Dr. Evil's father claim to have invented? Uh, the question mark. That is correct. Uh, what two things was Austin drinking during his all-nighter of culture ketchup? I'm, I don't know. Champagne and beer. It is uh, Captain Morgan and Tab. What's Tab? Is that beer? It's a, it's a soda. Soda. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what turns on the video feed to the UN when Dr. Evil can't work the remote? 
uh, of what turns on the, the, the screen. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were talking about what, what actually turns it on. Uh, no, uh, what, what turn, what turns on to the video feed? Oh, the Beavis and Butthead episode. There we go. Uh, and the last question, uh, worth one point. You have to get it exact. List the three Austin Powers movies in order of domestic box office numbers, greatest to least. Um, gold member, Spy Shagme, first one. That is correct. Gold member, 213 million. Spy Shagme, 206 million. International Man of Mystery, 53 million. All right. So with a score of 22 to 15 and a half, Todd wins trivia. I believe that's the score going as well. <laughs> that's quite possible. Quite possible. All right. Well, this is, I believe this is our third straight comedy deep dive. Uh, Todd, you picked it. We finally, everyone got, got to pick one now. Uh, tell us, uh, tell us your experience with Austin Powers. Yeah, I don't remember the first time I watched this, but I mean, I've loved these movies since the first time I saw them. Uh, it, I mean, I, I really chose this one because it was similar to when Zach chose Knocked Up because he's like, I want to do this. This is 40 at some point this year because you can't really start with the third movie. But then I remembered Zach started with Naked Gun 33 and a third. So because he makes his own rules. But um, I don't know. It's sort of like in, in the Jane Austen book club, like Chris Messina says, you know, starting in the middle or whatever. I think it was maybe it was Hugh Dancy. I don't know. Something like that. Either. I don't know. That's a good movie. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is First I, I reference, uh, Jane Austen book club ever <laughs> in a talk about Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Austin Powers is probably one, one of my favorite spoofs ever. It's um, obviously it, it plays off everything James Bond and it does it in a way that is, is just, I mean, it's funny. It is uh, probably culturally outdated because of like references, but it still, it, it still works. Mike Myers is absolutely doing his thing. It's, it's, it's one of those weird things where it's like, I feel like this could be nominated like several below the line categories, like every year, one of these comes out at the Oscars, cause it's really impressive work and it, but, it, but it's also just like really funny and really stupid. And I, I absolutely love these movies. Although I've seen gold member absolutely the most times of the three of them. And this probably is the worst of the three, but it still is good. I think I've probably seen spy who shagged me the most. I think I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I love these movies too. I think I think I saw all three Austin Powers movies before I saw my first Sean Connery James Bond movie. Which I mean, I, I think I remember I remember watching through the Sean Connery ones, thinking, "Oh, this is why Austin Powers is so funny," because <laughs> it was like there's all this stuff I didn't I didn't know I didn't know. Uh. Yeah, th- this is like, this is like my childhood. Uh, the, the movies like this, and just what I love about it is it is just pure silliness, and he's able to get away with it. Mike Myers is by pulling someone out of time like this, and just and just having a ball with it. It is it is so much fun. I love the fact that Doctor Evil's voice is based off of Lorne Michaels from SNL. Um, I, and, uh, no, the, the, it is, and then you get some like 
actual noteworthy actors in it, like Robert Wagner and Michael York and guys like that. It, it, this, you see Will Ferrell before anybody knew who he was. The, of course, Clint Howard has to be in it. I don't know. It's, it's just a blast. Zach, I, I think your your experience is a little different. Well, I, I mean, I never really grew up with the movie. Um, I I didn't see it in a theater. Um, I'm not really as familiar with the sequels as I am with the original. Um, it's enjoyable. I definitely, I mean, I picked Naked Gun 33 and a third. This movie definitely has some DNA in the Naked Gun Zucker type movies. This movie is, um, I, I think it's hilarious when movies are satirizing niche cultural products like 60s British spy movies with Michael Caine. Um, so that's always fun. It feels like it's an inside joke, but it's still very amusing and interesting to watch. Kind of an interesting sort of Mike Myers filmography, looking at his career, um, obviously coming off Wayne's World. Didn't do a whole lot after Wayne's World, though. And uh, this, in some ways, was sort of like recapturing the essence of Mike Myers, um, which ultimately led to Shrek, which I think is we could say is probably his most successful or his most iconic role for especially folks who are maybe a little younger than us. Um but, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting to watch again. Um, you know, some of the jokes landed better than others. Um, you know, it was nice seeing Elizabeth Hurley in the only movie I've ever seen her in. I think we made a joke about her at some point. I, I'd never, I've never seen her in any other movie. It's kind of a shame because she has obvious talent. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the 60s and 70s are always fun to satirize. This movie does not take itself seriously. I, I wish more movies took themselves less seriously. Andrew Dominic, if you're listening, that would be good advice. Uh, same with you, Billy Eichner, take yourself less seriously. Um, but this movie has a lot of fun and uh, it has some real iconic moments. I think in many ways it probably led to movies like Anchorman and Dodgeball and some of those Ben Stiller, Will Ferrell movies that we saw in the next decade. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think this really opened the door for a whole era of of comedy. And I mean, you can you can see, like you said, you can see the the starts of uh, of what ended up being the starts of the Apatow tree coming out of something like this. Uh, I think I remember hearing uh, Mike Myers interviewed one time, and they asked, uh, "Where did you come up with, you know, where'd you get this? How'd you come up with Austin Powers?" And I think he he said he was he was, you know, kind of creatively struggling and he just started wandering around the house one day and, and uh, he'd randomly pick stuff up and look at his wife and go, does this make you horny? And, and from there, Austin Powers started and, uh, and, and it all, it all kind of came from there. Uh, yeah. The, this movie is the, all these movies are just so much fun. And, and, and like I said, they're just innocent silliness and uh, which you could say about like naked gun and stuff like that too, where you just have the, this, the silly side to things, but uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get into some stuff that we're going to talk about with this. And we have a Mount Rushmore here that we're going to do, which is going to be interesting. Uh, this Mount Rushmore is, uh, is actors play or movies where an actor plays multiple roles ah back obviously forgot that we were doing that yes i did <laughs> that's right it was gonna be very interesting, <laughs> very interesting. i've thought a lot about it in the last 20 seconds <laughs> can we is is austin powers a non-negotiable 
Yeah, like, we, we had mentioned that that was going to be did the we? Case. Okay, all right. So Austin Powers is the non-negotiable. We're going to start with Todd to let uh, to let Zach think a little bit here. See, I have two that I really want to say, but uh, I don't know if I should. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, whatever. I'm going with men. Um, Rory Kinnear wow. plays yeah. a ton of characters. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and... It's one of the most astonishing uh, several performances I've ever seen because it's, I don't know, I mean, in, the, in, in that world, in that movie, it, it, somehow it makes sense. And I don't know that actor very well, but uh, he was absolutely convincing in every single, as a, as like a teenager or as an old man or as like a, like a middle-aged drunk man. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's something else. And the movie I actually did like, so I'll go with that. Because I know that neither of you are going to say that. <laughs> Didn't even think of that one. That's a good call, though. To bring it full circle, the only thing I knew him from before this was uh, James Bond. Because he's in oh, the Danny yeah. Craig ones. Yeah. All right. Zach, do you have one or should I go next? I think you should go next, Harry. I'm curious okay. about your choice. <sighs> I've got a bunch written down here. I'm picking between probably one... Two, three. Do I go with like the obvious low hanging fruit or do I go with something else? God. Well, see, like when I was thinking about it, I was like, there's a lot of movies where someone plays twins, and I don't really, I kind of excluded those in my in my rankings. So I wasn't. Movies where they got nominated for Oscars playing twins, one of whom is a real person and one of whom isn't. Sort of, yeah. And then there's like obviously like the Winklevi. The Winklevi, yeah, that's one. I was like, there will be blood. There will be blood. The twins. I, I, I excluded those because okay. I mean, playing twins is too easy. That's a good rule. I like it. Breaking news: Paul Christ was just fired. I saw from that. Wisconsin. Yeah. I speculated right, on that yesterday. First. Heard it here first. What? I speculated on that yesterday. You did speculate on that yesterday. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna screw. It. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm going with Doctor Strangelove. There we go. That was the other one I wanted. Yeah, because you got You got to throw. I mean, it, it's the classic choice. Peter Sellers, uh, the first to play James Bond in a complete spoof of it in that first Casino Royale movie. Yeah, it's 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 iconic and it he's pretty unrecognizable in, in some of those roles too. Like you wouldn't necessarily realize that he's playing multiple roles, which is, I think make, makes it even cooler. So Merkin Muffley, Dr. Strangelove. He's a, that's the, definitely the best performance of anybody ever <laughs> playing multiple roles. Yeah. All right, Zach, did I just take one you had? I mean, listen, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm still, I'm still processing this. This was such a hard one to spend all this time on, but um, can I go with two? Because why not? I'm, I think, I'm go- I think I know I'm, what you can go with, but go ahead. I'm going to go with Michael Parks and uh, who, who's the <laughs> other actor in Kill Bill Volume 2? Help me out, Todd. Uh, no, wait. Uh, okay. So Michael Parks played Earl McGraw. Johnny Liu. And Esteban Vejeo and uh, Gordon Liu. Isn't that his Gordon name? Liu. Gordon Liu played... Um, uh, uh, who did he play? Pai Mei. Pai Mei. Pai Mei and, and Johnny Mo. 
Johnny Mo. Johnny Mo. Yeah, there we go. I should probably know the names of the characters before I go <laughs> with them, right? Before you try to say them. <laughs> you knew who you were talking about. Well, okay, fine. That's all right. I can't go with that because I couldn't get their names. That's technically that, two no, characters from two, two multiple movies. That will be an honorable mention. I'm going to go with what my true heart says, which is Barb and Star. That, that was the first one I thought of. And that is the best one because Kirsten Wig, Kristen Wig in that movie is so incredibly entertaining. I did not even realize that she was also the villain in the movie. How many times has that happened before where the, the actor is so good in the dual roles that you don't even notice it? So I'm going with Kirsten Wig. She plays um, Star and she also plays Sharon Fisherman, who is the antagonist in what is ultimately the Austin Powers of the 2020s, which is obviously Barb and Star, and uh, that's what I'm going with. Obviously, the Kill, Kill Bill picks are great, but it's kind of bending the rules, I think, a little bit too far, and um, yeah, I'm going to stick with that. I don't think it bends the rules at all. Michael Parks definitely works. Yeah, but it's two movies, and it's two actors, so I don't know. Yeah, Michael Parks really isn't Earl in Volume 2. Right, it's, it, it's in Volume 1. Yeah. But... And same same with uh, same with Gordon Liu. He's That's why this. I was I didn't go with Grindhouse because I mean it it kind of is two different movies. Yeah, but Kill mm. Bill's at least supposed to be one movie. It's supposed to be one whole. Body it was of the, the first thing I thought of when you said it, and then I was like, well, actually, we need to think of the greatness of Barb and Star. So when we're, you were gonna... when you said you were going to go, you were going with two. I thought you meant two movies, and I thought you were going to go with uh, with Coming to America and Nutty Professor. I've never seen Coming to America. So. Neither have I, actually. But Nutty Professor was dual roles in that. Him and Arsenio Hall played multiple roles in that. Very interesting. Um, the other ones I had written down: Monty Python, like Holy Grail, is another great one. Yeah. Uh, if you want to to go out there a little ways, Cloud Atlas. Oh yeah, that's a good you go one. Go with something like that, or any any of these dumb multiverse movies you could go with too. Um. Tom Hanks doing a British accent, not as good as his German accent in Elvis, but right. I, I like the effort. Uh, and then, yeah, I had I had the Winklevite down. I had There Will Be Blood. Another one along those adaptation. lines. Adaptation. Well, Another one along those lines. Twins. Joe versus the volcano. Meg Ryan plays that's, sisters in it. That's a great call as well. Yep. yep. I was. I also had written down Bowfinger. Mm. Uh, oh yeah, one. That's, that's a good one. And. Um, Obviously, you know, the South Park movie because <laughs> it's like every you froze again there right after you said South Park movie. Yeah, I know. I saw that. Okay. I wrote down in my few minutes of glory to think of it Kind Hearts and Carnets, Alec Guinness, who plays multiple roles in that movie, uh, Lolita. Peter Sellers playing um, Quilty. Is that a dual role? Maybe I'm. I I I think I, I don't have that think he's. No. Okay, I was thinking of the wrong <laughs> Kubrick movie. Um, X, uh, where mm. uh, Mia Goth plays multiple roles. Um, uh, Jack and Jill, memorably, the greatest actor of all time, Adam Sandler, playing both Jack and Jill. And Jumanji, Jonathan Hyde playing the thinly veiled Freudian figure of um, Alan Partridge's father. And uh, the poacher, uh, whose name I cannot remember, Van Pelt. But you guys didn't like the movie the way I did, so you probably don't know that reference. I wrote down a couple dishonorable mentions. 
that are that uh, don't qualify because they're the exact opposite. And uh, those are uh, I'm not there in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. That's where multiple <laughs> actors play one character. <laughs> it's a second I'm not there reference on this episode. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, we've got Austin Powers, Dr. Strangelove, Men, and Barb and Star. But adaptation is the, obviously the Taft pick. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Recasting time. I think, did we say we're, there's four we're recasting, or were there five? Five. Five? What was the fifth? I've got Austin, or what were, what were the ones, Todd? Well, Austin... Doctor Evil, Basil, and Mister Mrs. and Ms. Kensington. Oh, we had to we had to recast both of them. Okay, okay, that's what I missed. Okay, okay. So let's start with Austin Powers. You know what? Let's just go through all our whole list to save some time here. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Okay. We'll, we'll just go we'll just go right down the list. Todd, give us your recast. Okay. Well, I mean, I only came up with one for Austin and Dr. Evil because I mean it's ridiculous. I mean, how are we recasting Mike Myers who wrote and and did it all this for himself? Uh so I went with one of these where I want to see a comeback of an actor. So I said my Austin and Dr. Evil is Frankie Muniz. Uh, obviously Malcolm in the middle actor. I think it'd be Awesome. He's around the right age, and uh, that'd be something else to see him come back and do. My Basil Exposition, I have Martin Freeman. Um, I mean, he's just a British that's, actor in the right age range. Uh, my Ms. Kensington, it was, there was no question. The first words out of her mouth, I knew it was Emma Watson. And my Mrs. Kensington uh, is Rosamund Pike. Nice. That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, so I kind of went in a similar direction. Um, I, I I thought of Emma Watson, and then I just kind of kept going a little bit. So my Austin Powers is Daniel Radcliffe. Um, my uh, my Doctor Evil is Harry Melling. My Basil is Rupert Grint. I didn't have a Mrs. Kensington Kensington though. Um, but Basil I think that was, was like way too old. <laughs> yeah, but he, I, I mean, he's I don't know. He could be Harry, young in there. Harry- Harry Melling as Doctor Evil is interesting. Wouldn't that <laughs> be great? This is not a this is this is a comedy though. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, but it'd be like his character in the Old Guard. That, that's yeah, kind of what I'm thinking. Who was your Mrs. Kensington? I didn't come up with one yet. Um, I was trying to think of another Harry Potter actress that could do it. Um, I hadn't come up with a good one. Okay. There, there's none in the right age range. Maybe you go with like a with like a um. Helena Bonham Carter or something like that. That's not but bad. She's too old. Or she might be right. I don't know. Yeah, I'll go with that. I'll go with Helena Bonham Carter. Back. Okay, I went with my Austin Powers was Tom Hiddleston. Um, now, did we say that Dr. Evil had to be different than Austin Powers? No, it doesn't have to be. Either way. Okay, I mean, I guess I could go with Chris Hemsworth as Dr. Evil. That would be kind of interesting. Um, my Basil was Eric Idle. Might be a little old at this point, but I'd be intrigued by that. My Vanessa was Dakota Johnson. My Mrs. Kensington was Kate Beckinsale. And my number two was Fred Willard, although I think he's dead. Is Fred he Willard is. still alive? Okay. No, he died. He died. Okay. Dang it. Well, then um, Eugene Levy I'll go with as my number two. Well, that's good. That's good. Is there anyone but, else that I missed? 
I, I think that was it. I think that was it. I, I like the recasting it as as Harry Potter actors. That, that's just it. Just turned out to be really fun. Mustafa would be Tom Felton <laughs> or Nick Kroll. Oh, there we go. There we go. We need a we need a Nick Kroll for every recasting we do. But who's Scott though? Who who oh, would Scott be? Mm. Pete Davidson. <laughs> that's a, that's about right. That's about right. Uh, who would Nicolas Cage play? I oh, he'd absolutely be uh, the Texan. <laughs> Tom Arnold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you show that. You show that who's boss. You show who's that turd who's boss. who's boss. Yeah, that's it. I I think. Uh, I think he would play his character from Leaving Las Vegas sitting at the blackjack table. That's a good one. <laughs> the, like the worlds collide. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. You see him flip over a table or something. <laughs> I mean, they're both they're both set. Why didn't we think of Austin Powers as a Vegas movie, man? Yeah, it's a good one. The, Maybe the whole thing takes place in Vegas. Pretty much. Maybe he could be Burt Bacharach. <laughs> well, I, I I do want to see him with an eye patch. So I mean, he could be number two. number two. There really isn't any role he couldn't be in this movie. I mean, I was also thinking Basil. He could be he could be the guy who who uh, at the prison who is or at the cryogenic lab is giving back all of his uh, supplies. <laughs> he could be, be Andy one. Andy Warhol. The sky's the limit. All right, what does Adam think this movie's about? Well, if you break the movie down by its title parts, I think he thinks it's a biopic about Ricky Williams because the Austin Powerhouse, Texas, is where he played college football, and he's mysterious because he quit football to smoke weed, and Hillary Swank helps him like negotiate his retirement <laughs> stipulations. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I, I, I kind of went a similar route in, in breaking down the title. So I said it's a superhero origin story because it's Austin's powers. Um, and he, he's a teleporter because he's international. And he's a man of mystery because he keeps his identity secret. Very nice. So it's it's a movie about Austin Powers. <laughs> I said Austin's it was powers. Yeah, I said it was the origin story of Bob's Bob's burgers. <laughs> or Bob's big boy burgers. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. And Hillary Swank defended it in court because someone accused it of stealing a windshield wiper uh, diagram, all of that Greg Kinnear movie. And so Hillary Swank had to defend him. I don't know. I, I got nothing. <laughs> this movie, he's an international spy, but he's so well known. Isn't that sort of a paradox for being a spy? Are there, are there well known spies? It's a valid 007. Point. 007, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, who's the highest war of this movie? I mean, do do we say it's highest war that's not Mike Myers, or can we just talk about Mike Myers for a second? <laughs> I, I mean, think you could you could be you could be cute, and you could say like Michael Caine, Michael Caine, or uh, he's not in well, this one I'm, though. But he was like you could say he but was, he was the inspiration for it. For it. He's part of it. Sean Connery, I think, was definitely in there too. I mean, there's a reason Michael Caine is the is the father in uh, 
in gold member though. Yeah, I, I think Mike Myers, I, th this is one of the like tour de force just, I mean, he wrote the thing and then to play two characters so ridiculously polar opposites and play them both to perfection like this is yeah, the, the fact that Brilliant. both of them are so iconic with everything uh, to do with any sort of spoof movies or any just any sort of like villain heroes. I there's nobody else that could have done it. And he was, I mean, he was what my age when he when he played these roles. This is his yeah. baby. There's I, there's no there's no way any of this could have been done any other way. That is true. I think you could if you really wanted to pinpoint anyone other than Mike Myers. I think Seth Green is pretty hilarious in this movie, and it's hard for me to think of another 1997 actor who could pull that off quite the way he did. That's a good point. I like that. But yeah. Nikki Cat. <laughs> That's actually not bad. Okay, Nikki Cat. <laughs> Maybe Giovanni uh, Ravisi. But again, it's just not, you know, it's oh, not Giovanni as amusing. would be hilarious. It's not as role. it's not as good as Seth Green, but there are other it's not a difficult role necessarily, but Seth Green is sort of a unique hybrid and sort of perfect for that. Giov role. This is exactly what Giovanni did in Friends. I was going to say, can you imagine <laughs> his character from Friends being yeah. Could does Mike Myers in this go on like the Mount Rushmore of greatest war performances of all time? No, <laughs> no, I mean, I wouldn't argue well, with that. Well, we too. Okay. Listen, two weeks we were talking about Jim Carrey in liar, liar as one of the greatest performances of all time. I think Mike Myers is fine in this movie. I think Jim Carrey was extraordinary in liar, liar. Like that is Oscar worthy. This was like a funny sort of extended SNL sketch with imitations of caricatures from sixties, British movies. And it's fine. And it's funny, but it lacks the kind of physical dimension and just, what the hell is he doing question question that you ask when you're watching Jim Carrey. So it's like, well, it's, it's funny, but it's not, I don't think it's all time greatness. I think it's a higher war, but I don't think it's a, like Jim Carrey was more, a more difficult thing to do, but I don't think anybody else does what Mike Myers does. But Dana Carvey did. I mean, he did the Lauren Michaels imitation before Mike Myers did it. So it like somebody else did it. Yeah. I, 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 I'm going with Todd on this. I think, I think Jim Carrey two weeks ago when we talked about him, liar, liar, might be the better performance, but this is the higher war performance. Maybe Dana Carvey, maybe Dana Carvey. That's like the only other one you could even see doing it. Do Mike Myers and Dana Carvey like each other? I, I was struggling in my research for this movie. Lots of hours of research on this movie to, to find answers to that question. I think, I believe that Mike Myers was on the Damon and Carvey podcast. Um, I didn't listen to it, but I heard there was a little bit of friction there. Dana Carvey famously did not like that he, that Mike Myers appropriated his imitation of Lauren Michaels for this movie. And there was a bit of falling out. I, it seems like there's some unresolved tension between them. Interesting. Is, is Mike Myers in the David O. Russell movie coming out? Yes, I, I I swear it's him in the yes. trailer, but I can't yeah, tell it's for sure. Him. It's him. That's Everyone's in that movie. Rami Malek, Academy Award winner. Taylor Swift, Alessandro Nivola. <laughs> That's a weird direction to take it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the three that stuck out to me. I, you know, the others. I, 
some Why guy named Taylor Christian Joy Bale. and Kristen Bale aren't that interesting in De Niro. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, the Bill Paxton Memorial Worst Performance of the Film Award goes to who's that? I mean, I, I respect her. I think she's fine in this movie, but Fab- Fabiana Udinelio, Udinio as a lot of vagina. I, the movie asks a lot of her, no pun intended. It doesn't always work. It, or, or it has mixed success. Uh, she's fine. Uh, the scenes with her are probably the scenes that I was kind of dozing off the most in or cared the least about. And I attribute that mostly to her. I think Elizabeth Hurley does laps around her in terms of acting quality. So I, I think I have to give it to her, sadly. That's fair. She was one of the ones I was considering, too. Kind of a one-dimensional um, character. So it's not necessarily her fault, but, you know. And it could have been an interesting character to re- revitalize in the sequels, but maybe there's a reason it didn't happen. The one I'm going to go with, I I kind of feel bad going with. I, I think everyone kind of does their thing in this, and there's not really anyone that you look at and say, well, that just didn't work. Because everyone knows, like, knows their role, right? And, and, and they stay in their lane. But probably the flattest of them all is uh, is Robert Wagner is number two. But he's like the perfect straight man at the same time. But it's like he has zero personality in this, and he's just basically being Robert Wagner reading his lines. Well, and that's why he got replaced. And so clearly. Well, he got he replaced because they went they went back to the seventies or the sixties, so they needed someone young to play him. <laughs> but yeah, that that's my that's my pick, Todd. Uh, I mean, we all love him, but I think Clint Howard is horrible in this one. <laughs> he, he's really good in some of the other ones, but in this one, his lines just don't seem real. I don't know what he's what he's actually doing when he's explaining the the you know, the rocket going across his radar and stuff. And I don't know. He's funnier when it, when uh, they actually say, you know, when he's actually Johnson, not in this one. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. So do you guys know the Robert Wagner, like history, the fact that he might've murdered Natalie Wood? Yes. I, I was looking at yeah. that a little bit. That That's intriguing. Who and the direct- only person who might know something about it is Christopher Walken. Yeah. <laughs> And my dog apparently. Who who yeah. who directs the movie version of the death of <laughs> Nellie Wood with Robert Wagner? Ryan Murphy. <laughs> Make it an American crime story. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's not bad. That's not bad. Um. I don't know. It's a good question. There aren't really like true many true crime movies anymore. They're all they all become TV shows or miniseries or podcasts. Which yeah, is why was... Blonde was so weird to see like in the form it is. So in the yeah. R- Ryan Murphy version, obviously Sarah Paulson plays Natalie Wood, right? <laughs> I mean, probably. Yeah, or... yeah, that's about right. And yeah. Rob Rob Lowe plays Robert Wagner. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. Done. <laughs> Perfect. Wow. Make it happen. But who's Christopher Walken? Nobody's ever Christopher Walken. Paul Chris retired, and we have the new Ryan Murphy American Horror Story season. Done. Paul Chris was <laughs> fired. And uh, you heard it here first. Christopher Walken played by Paul Dano. There we go. 
There we go. That I was going to say work. Kevin Spacey, but would have been well, funny. He, he has he he has a he has an impression, but outside of like one-liners, he doesn't really do that that great with it. All right, amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller Minor Character of the Movie Award goes to. I'm going to go first on this one. I'm going to go to Carrie Fisher as the group therapist. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's a good scene. <laughs> it's a great scene, and she's perfect in it. And it, it's one of those where it comes on like, oh, yeah, Carrie Fisher's in this movie. I mean, how random is that? That Princess Leia pops up as a, as the uh, the one that's doing all the all the group therapy. It's It's perfect. It's perfect. I agree. All right, let's I think go. It was the first thing I ever saw her in that wasn't Star Wars. <laughs> Probably. Todd, you're next. Uh, I mean, there, there's a few I want to say. I mean, the, I mean, the one I'm not going to say, but I'll say it anyway, is uh, the henchman flattened by Steamroller and and his wife, by the way, because I had him on my uh, uh, most unwarranted deaths. I think it was. <laughs> I think it was what our list was at one point, and I still believe in that. Um, but I'm going to say Commander Gilmore. Because, I mean, he I, he's he's so I don't know he's in a different movie and I love how when when he says um, what he wants to do is he's like I need you to call my wife pack an overnight bag and I need you to feed my fish. Uh, I don't know that, that actor's really funny. He should have had a bigger a bigger role. Yeah, Charles Napier. So the guy in Silence of the Lambs. Oh my God! They killed Jim Young. Oh my God, <laughs> bit of overreacting. I think he was my worst performance in that movie. But you're right, Todd. This is perfectly his lane in this movie. And that's a good pick. I did notice him uh, in that role. Nice. I was just looking through the cast list. Um, did you know Rob Lowe's in this movie? He plays decapitated henchman's friend. I don't even know what that reference is. Looks like a dummy. Are we talking about the fish scene? Yeah. I don't know. They are mutated sea bass. I don't know. I really wanted to see the version with the sharks with the lasers on on their heads. That would have been spectacular. I'm disappointed that we didn't see the the modified sea bass, though. Apparently, Christian Slater is the easily fooled security guard. That was a deleted scene. I didn't watch the DVD, but apparently the DVD has that deleted scene on it. And uh, Sherry O'Terry plays a flight attendant. Yeah, I was going to say, it's our second straight Sherry O'Terry movie that we've been in. Takes the focus off your head! And it was her first two movies that she ever was in. <laughs> Which makes it even better. <laughs> yeah, but she was great on SNL by this point, I'm sure. All right, Zach, who's your minor character? I went with two. Um, I went with... Uh... Larry Thomas as the casino dealer and Brian George as the UN secretary because they were also prominent, uh, famous characters on Seinfeld. Uh, Brian George Soup played Nazi. Uh, Babu mm-hmm. Bhatt and, of course, Larry Thomas memorably played the Soup Nazi. And so keeping in style of the 90s, keeping that vibe, of course, he had to go with some Seinfeld bit players. And uh, it was nice to see him again. Cashing in those checks in the, in the 90s when they had their cachet. So the UN secretary, which character is that? He was in the scene when um, they Doctor Evil was trying to negotiate with the world leaders, and uh, I don't know which country he represented, but he was like uh, the he was the one, one that was talking. talking. Yeah, he was. Yeah, the one that he's a, he's a secretary. That's according to the credits. That that is okay. his name, the UN secretary. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay, I know the guy's face. I didn't want to. Interestingly, talk. also in Boy Meets World, in the episode "Changing Angela Part 2, playing the role of Eduardo. So 
shame on you, Todd, for not knowing that. <laughs> hmm. All right. Spider stick, man. I mean, do we just say Austin powers and move on? Yeah. I don't think there's another real stick, man. It's Austin. I shagged her. I <laughs> shagged her rotten, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you are going to make a, 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 I mean, obviously Austin, I think is in the Stickman Hall of Fame. I think you could go with Burt Bacharach, though. According to his Wikipedia, <laughs> he was married four times, and uh, you know the the guy has some charm. Still kicking it in the '90s on the tourism circuit in La- in Las Vegas. I like it. I like it. He's got some game. That's good. Uh, Billy Bats douchebag Zach. Uh, biggest douchebag of the movie. Um, let's see. I, um, hmm. We know your answer already. Just say it. Do we? I, I don't. T- tell me my answer, Todd. Help it's me. It's the, the actor who plays Random Task. Oh, because in real life he killed someone and then he yes. killed his cellmate. Exactly. <laughs> A la like Hannibal Lecter and Silence of the Lamb. Another Silence of the Lambs reference. I, I do think it's <laughs> impressive that. Uh, he had such a checkered past that was able to apparently get by the uh, inimitable Jay Roach, Roach directing this movie. Well, his and, his uh, his uh, gang rape thing didn't come up until years after this movie, even. Okay, so who directs the who directs that movie? <laughs> the guy who did Start Up, maybe. You, you like Ma- that movie, Mary right, Heron? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Mary Heron. What's she been doing lately? <laughs> That's a that was a nice career comeback for the American Psycho director. Uh, the story of that guy and the and didn't the she direct raid. a movie recently? Did she? I I haven't seen her in a while. We're looking this up. I like the guy who did Start Up. What was? Oh yeah, name? she did the she did the Charles Manson movie. Charlie says, and she's got a movie about. Uh, Salvador Dali. <laughs> yes, there we go. With Ben Kingsley. Everyone's waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, the guy who did Start Up also apparently directed Hell or High Water. So I should have known that. And uh, yes. he's the one that can do the prison rape movie with uh, the guy who throws the shoe in Austin Powers. <laughs> All right. My, uh, my biggest douchebag is the blackjack dealer. Because as the dealer, exactly. what are you doing telling Austin Powers how to play the game? I suggest you hit, sir. Yeah, like, he would get fired on the spot. Seriously. <laughs> All right, you want to stay at five? I'll, I'll take your money then. I mean, or you have 17. <laughs> have 17. Okay, but I do have to confess that was a top three scene I laughed the most at rewatching it this time. That was pretty hilarious. I also like to live dangerously. <laughs> yeah, it's it. <laughs> that, w- that was pretty amazing. Uh, that, that's move. also the the reveal of uh, of Alada's name, and yeah, just toe to toe. Austin Powers in number two. My name is Richie Cunningham, and this is my wife Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> and Vanessa even shoots him and looks like, "What the hell?" All right, we're going with it. <laughs> uh, all right. The uh, the um, Robert. So mine is. Oh yeah, uh, Todd, go ahead. It's Scott. Scott. I mean, Scott is an asshole. <laughs> there isn't a single moment in the in the movie where he's not an asshole. Even when you're supposed to be like, yeah, I get you. You're still an asshole. <laughs> he has that '90s teenage angst with Kirk Cobain on his shirt, and you know, 
No, he's right. I am trying to kill him, but uh, so far unsuccessful. He's wily like his father. He says un- unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully. <laughs> he, he doesn't say un. It's so weird. He's like I'm so far unsuccessfully. Can you guys <laughs> name the four movies that IMDb has for Seth Green without looking it up? Italian uh, job. Yes, that's one of them. Without a paddle. No. Oh, uh, really? Uh, and the three Austin Powers. Uh, Austin Powers International Man of Mystery is one of them. So there's two others. One is a is a is a series. Oh, uh, Robot Chicken. Correct. And then the last one, the last Family one is, guy? The, is the most shocking one. No, it's it's a movie. It, I did not realize he was in this movie, but um, Party Monster. Party Monster is correct. Son of a bitch! I got that one. <laughs> Which makes There's me a... think: Was was Austin Powers the height of Seth Green's career? Of Seth Green's career, I don't know. I mean, he was pretty big at that time, anyway, wasn't he? He had a bunch of movies around the mid- late nineties. He he wrote this into being the Napster, so because I was is, napping he is... when he stole it. He is in Family Guy, right? He's in one of the yeah. main people. So yeah. that's, he's, that's he's gotta the voice be the, of Chris. He's making money. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and Robot we, Chicken is a is always been huge. Are we deep diving the Italian job next year? Yes. We, I, I think we. Well, have. I mean, there's like ten action movies in 2003. I want to deep dive, so we'll see. Is we one have of them two. Is one of them the the rundown? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say I I like that movie more than I would like to confess. Cellular right. also. I, th- I think that's too. Cellular is a fun one. That's a fun one. It's a day spa. <laughs> you know, here's the real thing. Can we? Okay, I had a couple of categories that I wanted to introduce on this episode. One okay. was, um, it, it's not a category; it's just more something. How many movies are we going to do that we've watched on TNT? This movie was on TNT <laughs> ten million times, just like Liar Liar. So I think we need to create some sort of category for movies that we watch mostly thanks to TNT. TNT approved. Yeah. TNT approved. And the other category, which is actually a legit category, which I'm shocked we've never done. Any 90s movie that we deep dive from now on, we need to create a category of who would 90s Paul Giamatti be in this movie? (laughs) Now, I think clearly he would be the guy at the cryogenic lab giving out the the penis (laughs) enlarger. That would be awesome. Yes, or may he? He could easily be the guy getting run over the steamroller. That's true. He could be Clint. He no, could be the Clint Howard role too. <laughs> like his role in the Truman. I think show. he could have been the blackjack dealer. <laughs> yeah, the blackjack dealer. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I can't see him dealing blackjack. He looks too clumsy. To How is he not? Cards. He's. I mean, okay. this is this is like Donnie Brasco era Giamatti. He totally would. Giamatti has definitely played a blackjack dealer. I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but th- that he had to have played a blackjack. He's probably dealer in heart I can hear. I can hear him saying, "I suggest you stay, sir." <laughs> <laughs> like I, I can hear it. Not I much of a it. blackjack dealer. I'm not much of anything. Uh, all right. Uh, I, I, it is Missed now in there. Who would '90s Giamatti play? It is yes. right next to Nicolas Cage. So that yep. that's. that's We're only doing this for '90s Thank movies you. or for any. I movie. think we can do I this think for any, any movie, any, any movie, any movie. Yeah, especially '90s. Done. '90s Giamatti <laughs> bit part. Okay. Um, 
Robert Forster Memorial Most Punchable Face Award. I'm going first. It has to be Basil's mother. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> it's over. Yeah, that's, that's the best one. <clears throat> that's a man, baby. Uh, <laughs> Austin, that's my mother. Beaten by an ugly stick. <laughs> Beaten by... <laughs> rather mannish. I love that that scene has nothing to do with the movie. It doesn't forward anything... <laughs> It's not important at all. It's they have one of those in the next movie too. <laughs> uh, I, I love the the obvious switch out of actors in the first scene where that happens, where it's like this attractive girl, and then it's a guy with a five yeah. o'clock shadow. <laughs> well, they have that, they have that all the time when uh, when both Mike Myers are on the screen. Like they, they do a really bad job at trying to make it's it's got to be we got to be in on the gag on that one. Yeah. Um, do you guys have anybody else for most punchable? I mean, I had a few written down. But... All right, go for it. Well, go, I mean, pick one, pick one, and then we'll go to Zach. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, the Virgicon tour guide because he just looks like he deserves like a, a big old punch right in his face. He's he's annoying, and he like when he's talking about yeah, we make like really bad chemicals, as if it's like a really good thing. What else have I seen that guy in? I know I've seen him in something Patrick else. Patrick Bristow. That guy, there he is. Bolton, that's his name in this, yeah. I yeah he I've says it over his walkie-talkie. Yeah. What have I seen? Oh, he's in Showgirls. And he's in The Longest Yard. And So I Married an Axe Murderer. Um, he's in a Longest lot of stuff. Yard? He plays Walt. In the longest yard, I don't. I think it's Showgirls. That's what I recognize him from. He's in Pain and Gain. He just pops up everywhere. Deep dive. That would be. I don't think any of us love that movie though. That's the problem. But I think Dwayne Johnson movie we've mentioned in the last five minutes. Sometimes we just need movies that aren't that great to just talk about and debrief, like Pain and Gain, because that exists in the universe. And not enough people talk about it. And we've only done one Michael Bay movie. That's true. We need more Bayhem on this podcast. Oh, uh, can I oh, say my an most... episode of Friends too? My most the one punch... with the routine. My most punchable faces were Gary Coleman and Vanilla Ice. There we go. I almost, I almost asked a question of uh, what celebrities were cryogenically frozen. Not I had enough... a question written down that I thought Terry was going to ask, which was, what happens when Mister Bigglesworth gets upset? Like that is a total Terry phrasing of a question, <laughs> and I don't even think Terry knows it. It's, I don't even die. know the answer. People die, <laughs> and that's exactly how you would have answered it, and neither Zach and I would have gotten it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep, that's a that's a question I would have asked. Hopefully, my questions were better than that, though. <laughs> yeah, I thought I ha- I thought I had really good questions this time. I even compl- I complimented you on. Yeah, one he of them. complimented me on the. Uh, what was uh? Oh, the 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 the. Why Mustafa it, was uh, sent in the pit? Very of hell. badly burned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My design was flawless. Uh, all right. What what what's next? Best scene. Uh, let's see. Zach, go first. I don't know if this is the same scene, but I I love every scene where um, number two is updating 
Dr. Evil on how the 90s have shifted and how, um, you know, <laughs> his plans have all gone awry. Like, you know, Princess Di and the Royals, there was an affair that split up the royal family and uh, uh, the ozone layer. One million dollars. And obviously one million dollars, which yeah, that's a great I don't know if I that's a meme. I think there's a lot of memes that could have been in this movie that were wasted opportunities, but that was one of them. And uh, yeah, I, you know, we need more time travel movies where people are out of place. I, I also like the scene where Austin is trying to put the CD on the record player. That's good. That's just, give me give me stuff like that. I could watch that shit for hours. I, I love I love number two. Like, like I was doing, he whenever he says something wrong, he just goes. <clears throat> Just like, uh, let me interrupt you here. That also already happened. That also, yeah. Can I tell you what really the biggest money anymore? What was the biggest laugh for me watching this movie again this time was this the the moment where um, Austin is talking. He notices the Russian soldier and he thinks that uh, <laughs> he thinks that communism won out. <laughs> I never noticed that scene before. That was really funny, actually. Oh, I can't remember his line exactly, but that was uh, that that was very funny. So, hey, comrades. Yeah, comrades. <laughs> yeah, comrades. Like, yay, yay, capitalism. <laughs> the, the the sign that this that this was a TNT movie. I think I've seen the second half of this movie like fifty times, and I've seen the beginning of it maybe five. Like, like him him getting out of the cryogenic fr- freezing. Maybe that is that totally the, the TNT thing because that's exactly yeah. the way it is with the Silence of the Lambs and with A Few Good Men and all these movies that ever played on TNT and TBS. Like, it's which is fans. why you forget about a great line like that because you haven't heard it as much as you've heard yeah. all the other ones. That's true. It, you always like TNT is always halfway through Austin Powers. It's not at the beginning of it. It's always halfway through. That's true. By the way, the, my my vote for the question I'm surprised Terry didn't ask was what were the five stages of a, after the cryogenic recovering from the cryogenic? Oh, so it was that'd like be a good one. the warm liquid goo stage and the reanimation stage and the yeah. evacuation. Yeah, <laughs> evacuation. <laughs> evacuation. Uh, ev- ev- come, come, come. Evacuation. Come. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh. The one I have, you you kind of referenced it, the the culture catch up scene, where he's he's putting the record on the or the CD on the record player, he's going through the list. Jimi Hendrix, deceased. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mama Joplin, Cass, Mama Cass, ham, ham sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> Has there ever been a bad culture catch up scene? Even in shitty movies like 13 Going on 30, I, I, I could watch that shit all day. I think they're always entertaining. They never go wrong. They, they don't. They don't. Like the, the, the uh, Captain Marvel. That was entertaining. That was the most entertaining part of that stupid movie was the culture catch-up. Or, or you've got uh, and Winter Soldier. You've got that too. Yes. Blast oh, yeah, from absolutely. The past. Blast from the Past. That's a classic. Oh, Academy man. Award winner 2022, Brandon Fraser. I mean, some great... Is that a deep dive this year? <laughs> Is that this year? Is it a 97 movie? It is, I believe. Gosh. I That movie's so much fun. I have low-key never seen it. You've never seen Blast <laughs> from the Past? I've never seen Blast from the Past. Okay. We may need to make this happen at some point. All right, Todd, what's your best scene? Uh, I mean, I like the, the, the group therapy scene. 
and I was thinking, I was this is where I was going to say, like, why, why is he holding a baseball? I never had noticed that until I watched it this time. <laughs> I hadn't either. It's so weird. Um, and his monologue, you know, about his father, he would womanize, he would drink, and you know, like he, and that, that is just so weird. You see all the reaction shots of everybody else around, and yeah, I mean, Carrie Fisher, yeah, we, we, we should move on, you know, it's, it's, it's an awkward scene. And Scott is also like, you always do that. Like, and I don't, I don't even understand what an evil petting zoo actually is, but I mean, it makes sense because it's Doctor Evil saying it. An it's, evil it's, petting zoo. Yeah, he was prone <laughs> to buggery, <laughs> <laughs> and his mother was a prostitute with web with feet. web feet named Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. By the way, Blast from the Past is ninety nine, so we have a couple years. Mm. Oh, okay. But we should we should totally deep dive it when it comes up. All right. Uh, Regal quote of the movie is obviously, yeah, baby, yeah. Why wasn't that in that commercial? <laughs> it should have been. It should have been in that commercial. I had a few others written down that could have been. Okay. Like, uh, this sort of thing is my bag, baby. That that, that easily <laughs> would fit into a lot of that. Or uh, throw me a freaking bone here. Oh, yeah. Is easily. Yeah. And the one that wouldn't be in there, but it should be, is Margaret Thatcher naked on a cold day. <laughs> <laughs> uh zach did you have any uh danger is my middle name i thought was the obvious oh that's a good one too Uh, and then there are so many things in this like we've said about liar liar and other movies like there are just so many things that i quote that i don't realize are from whatever i'm quoting that's that's this movie and its sequels but the difference is this one is actually a whole bunch of things that people know and would recognize when if you quoted them so all right i'm gonna skip the if there were a sequel unless you want have an idea for another sequel well, i think i i saw listed that there actually might be another one coming up so yeah he's been thinking about it for a while i think uh all right flaws outdated conspiracy theories anything i've got a couple things why are the movies that you actually like you actually you have <laughs> flaws for and everything else here's like i got nothing so so this one i actually have something for because since i had to write trivia my computer was open while i was watching so i was able to type some stuff down while i was watching it otherwise okay. i'm thinking about it after the fact and i don't I, and i don't i don't remember any of the things i think of while i'm watching it all right i'll go first then since i actually have something so I've got two things here. First, uh, it's obvious that the UN secret meeting room is based off of Dr. Strangelove's war room. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think the uh, uh, I think Austin's disguise on the tour at Virtucon is uh, the inspiration for the love guru. <laughs> and it's the same beard. <laughs> it's the same beard he wears in that movie. So that's pretty good. Yeah. That's, those are the two things I wrote down. The only things I wrote down were... Uh... Uh, Vanessa is eating a giant Italian sausage for breakfast, and that just looked disgusting. <laughs> and I don't think anybody does that. And uh, just like sort of outdated references, like he does the Macarena, and I'm not sure how he knows the Macarena because he just got in 1997. And he, they also play Twister, which that game should come back. But they also mentioned Twister as uh, Helen Hunt's, you know, favorite movie or whatever, or best Helen Hunt movie in another movie, but. Maybe that's paying that off. I never actually put that together until just this, this moment, Experience but yeah. Theory. Exactly. Well, how does he know the name Oprah? 
Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, how he must have like tried to crash course something. (laughs) He's like, I'm hip, and then he does the Macarena. He must have just watched. He couldn't have been watching a YouTube video. Watch something. There you go. All right, Zach, do you have anything? Um, I just I wanted to note that I confuse Tom Arnold's role in this movie with his role in Soul Plane. I think it's the exact same scene. He's also in a uh, bathroom scene in that movie. And um, Will Ferrell's role, Mustafa was probably the inspiration for the English patient because he was badly burned. And <laughs> I do want to know. He might have even been shot in the arm too. Yeah, I don't I think know. Ray so. Fiennes recast. <laughs> I want to know more about the the uh, the 1969 crew that Doctor Evil was working with, Jurgen, uh, Generalissimo, and Rita. Uh, they deserve their own movies, and I want to especially know more about the militant wing of the Salvation Army, which also got yes. I almost asked, "What is Frau known for?" <laughs> By the way, none of us mentioned Frau. She should have been mentioned in minor characters because she really she runs is great. things. Yes, every yeah, time she, she was... has to scream. Yeah, I mean, I would have said her for highest war if uh, we hadn't just agreed it was Mike Myers. Yeah, Scott. <laughs> 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 All right, LVP, MVP, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, we're gonna start with Todd. Uh, my LVP is random task because who throws a shoe, honestly? And that uh, could have been the Marvel quote or the Regal quote too. <laughs> could have been who throws a shoe, honestly. And my MVP, uh, I'm going to say Dina Appel. She's the costume designer on the movie. And the, the co- I mean, every scene, it seems like, you know, look at this guy's getup. And it's just brilliant. And he's like, no, I'm English. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's an awesome costume. Every, it's, a, it's a great costume design. Good call on that. Good call. Zach? Uh, my MVP is Austin Powers' is plane, the jumbo jet. Best best plane sequence in any movie since uh, Almost Famous. Best turbulence sequence in any movie since Almost Famous. Uh, oh, and, I fell down again. Yeah, very funny. <laughs> um, I had a f- couple of LVPs. I went with um, Dr. Evil's chairs on wheels, something that he doesn't <laughs> seem to quite understand. And every every time I watch this movie now, I think of how Dr. Evil has the buttons that push people down, how Matt Lauer also had buttons that locked the doors. Not not funny. We can take that out. But it just kind of <laughs> makes me think about evil people in the real world like Matt Lauer who had buttons that locked the doors. And I, I don't know why I said that. You, you went there. I, I had to, I, I can't help, but that was my reaction when I saw the button in the chair and I thought, yeah. Jay Roach, Jay Roach also directed Bombshell, movie I've never seen, um, but kind of interesting to think about. What are your guys' thoughts on Bombshell? Have I seen Bombshell? I honestly don't know. I mean, it's not a good it. movie. Uh, like I, I, I was in the exact same time that... Oh, yeah, Bombshell. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Paul Walter Hauser Clint Eastwood movie came out, and I gave it the exact same rating for the exact opposite reasons. Do you remember? Well, I remember that. Do you remember our pre-COVID podcasts? Because I don't really remember a lot of them, but <laughs> that felt felt like a very pre-COVID episode reviewing Bombshell. I thought you were just gonna go. Remember pre-COVID? Yeah, I don't really remember pre-COVID <laughs> much either. 
<laughs> well, that's what I was gonna say earlier. Like this movie, this movie is from a different time. It's a pre-COVID time, pre-Trump time, pre-9/11 time. It, it does feel a lot more innocent and you know, maybe nice and escapist. Well, they say in uh, the greatest beer run ever, less thinking or mess, less drinking, more thinking, and I think feel like that. <laughs> well, that sounds like kind of the day post, but yeah, post-COVID. All right. Well, my my LVP goes a similar route as a. Uh, as Zach talking about the chairs uh, and mine is uh, whoever designed the fembots. I mean, if it was Mustafa, he deserved to be badly burned again because uh, who designs something like that to have their heads explode. If someone else actually hits on them when they're designed to be, you know, these desirable women, come on now. And then my MVP, my MVP is Scott. Because uh, you could already tell that the uh, the end of the third one is coming because he's the only one that actually understands what's going on. Um, it's like, wait, you're get, you're just gonna close the door? What? I got a gun in my room. I could go get it. We could shoot him. Come on, it'd be fun. I mean, he he's like he, he doesn't understand how you know evil James villains Bond have to be idiots. Yeah. How how old is he supposed to be? And did did they actually make him born as a as a child or like as an infant? Like, is he supposed to be like twenty five or something? Conspiracy theory: How old he is is uh is dependent on how long you think it took for uh for his evil empire to give up on him. (laughs) I had a good nineteen ninety seven recasting for Scott, which was Ben Stiller. Hey, yo. Whoa, whoa! I was just thinking about that too. That is the yeah, right. that is a, exactly the kind of thing that he would have done too. Yeah. All right. Quote of the daytime. Let's wrap this up, and we're gonna start with Zach. My quote of the day comes from Siskel and Ebert's review of the Fairly Brothers Academy Award-winning Fairly Brothers uh, 1996 movie masterpiece Kingpin, which they both absolutely loved and um you know shit their pants over and roger said this movie isn't about bullying it's about laughing and that's the way i feel about this podcast this move this podcast is not about movies it's about laughing i had forgotten like that that's where bill murray is in (laughs) the last beer on ever is because he was in that movie i'm trying to put that together that's the connection all right, I'll go next. My quote is from Bros, and it's possibly my favorite little one-liner that Billy Eichner has in it. Uh, he says, "I'd rather be cliche than miserable." Like, yes, that yeah. that's a great line. That is a great line and a great model to live by. I don't know. I'd rather be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what cliche, I guess. <laughs> All right, Todd. Well, I mean, there's things that I quote in Austin Powers all the time. It's like, 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 oh, sure. Like, I, 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 I say that exact. <laughs> oh, sure. And then, <laughs> well, then there's also the funny stuff like, uh, you know, well, she's the village bicycle. Everyone's had a ride. That's just a great <laughs> quote. I mean, one of those you would never hear in any other movie, but it's brilliant. But um, my, uh, my actual quote comes from The Greatest Hero Ever. And it is one of the, like, um, the war journalists uh talking about uh about uh Zac Efron's character and he's like and, and she's or I think it's a he yeah he's like even though it's idiotic it is a nice gesture and I feel like that is this podcast. 
Well played. Well played. Beautiful. With with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Yeah, baby. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.